The GameCube is Cool podcast is a recorded and produced show from Toronto, Canada. If you want to support the show, you can go to patreon.com forward slash the GameCube was cool to find our $1 and $5 a month tiers. Special thank you to our Patreon supporters at the $5 or above level. I Rebel, Dan Wagner, Kirsten Cardinal, Jed Winters, Christopher Valenz, Joey Sirico, and Resident Evil Collector. The GameCube, GameCube was cool. Hosted by Mike Lane and Neil Gilbert. Mike, I've been in and out of a few grocery stores this week due to cottage trips and whatnot, been preparing a lot of meals and snacks, uh, got to stock up on everything, of course, that Fig Newtons, my personal favorite snack at cottages. Uh, But I got to say, I absolutely despise the snack aisle in grocery stores. For the most part, it's all air in those bags. Everybody hates how uh, how bags of chips are like 50% air, which is just weird. And then there's always like new flavors thrown in there that nobody cares about, like flavors of Lay's chips. Like I don't want your Swiss Chalet sauce chip mixing in. Like we have the we have our flavors lined up now. Everybody has their favorite. You can just stop making new ones now. That would be great. But my main my main beef is that why is nothing alphabetized in grocery stores? I feel like that would make life just a lot easier. Like a Dewey Decimal System, you're thinking, kind of yes. like a library. Mm-hmm. I feel like not not enough stores have adopted the library system of retail, where everything's in alphabetical order. I also feel like with snack aisle, we should just have one aisle dedicated to munchies, because that is just the best one. So when you talk about snack aisle, Neil, are you talking about the aisle that has just all the snacks in bags? Or are we talking about the open snack aisle, you know, where the um, where oh. the jujubes are, the nuts are as well? You mean like a bulk barn where you can just kind of open those plastic tubs and take take the lid off and grab a few samples? Well, yeah, even like like big grocery stores have those <laughs> uh, have those kind of like tubs of uh, not as big as bulk barn, but, you know, the, like mm-hmm. they'll always have those little areas. I don't know what you would call them. Neil, you worked in a grocery store. You should know what this is called. <laughs> I, I, did, I just called the bulk food aisle. We didn't have one in the grocery store I worked at. I, I know a few. That, I know the ones that you're talking about, though. And no. No, I mean the aisle where you get the Lay's chips, the Ruffles, the Doritos, mm-hmm. and then on the other side is the your your Coke and Pepsi and other pop in the cans. I just I just hate the bag chip aisle, man. It's just a mess. Like there's no there's no order. It's basically like the snack cupboard in your house, just in bigger form in a grocery store, and it just gives me anxiety thinking about it. Snack and I mentioned Thunderdome. Yes, the snack Thunderdome. You got to elbow people out of the way to get it to get at your can of Pringles that you're looking for. And I mentioned munchies earlier being the king of the snack aisle. That is, of course, if you don't have those in your country, it's a bag of Sun Chips, Doritos, Pretzels, and Cheetos, and it's really good. No one eats the pretzels. No, nobody eats the pretzels. Sun- <laughs> What's your favorite part of the munchies? Then I'm I'm going to say Sun Chips are my it's Sun favorite. Chips for me. I would say yeah, because yeah. because I feel like there's the least amount of Sun Chips in there, like ratio wise. Yeah, I. You know, maybe it's because I'm biased, but I got to say that it always feels like there's more pretzels than anything else in that bag. It's the cheapest one and it's the worst one, man. It's it's <laughs> it's so true, though. Like every time I have a bowl of those things, actually, usually the Cheetos are the ones that are left. It's the hard Cheetos. But I'm glad that you and I are on the same page about Sun Chips. You and I are on the same page about a lot of things. And you like a lot of things, Mike. Specifically, you love Sleeping Dogs. Um, but uh, another game that you played that's kind of similar to Sleeping Dogs is you finally got to play Yakuza 0 
which is an action-adventure open-world game that came out on PS4 in January of 2017, and you finally got a chance to come around and play it. Now, obviously, uh, if you're checking out the show, you know that we normally talk about GameCube games, but we occasionally like to talk about newer games. So, Mike, why did you want to talk about Yakuza 0 today? Well, you know, uh, Yakuza 0, uh, obviously originally on the GameCube. Uh, no, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Who could forget? You know, it, it could, like, Yakuza could have been on the GameCube. I was thinking that the other day, because it would have fit in pretty well with the, the true crime Mm. uh kind of games that were on there but yeah i i picked up yakuza after years of people telling me to play the series i asked which one i should start with and a lot of people told me zero because they said Mm. that's one of the best in the series it's also a prequel and a bit of a reboot almost to the series uh, in terms of just the gameplay and the graphics and everything okay so i wanted to try that out and i've been playing it for the past uh, couple weeks now and neil it's basically like pool paradise no in way. Terms of, <laughs> in terms of what you can do. <laughs> so obviously it's a bit of an open world setting where you're, you know, walking around talking to people, doing chores for people, kind of which like Witcher 3. But okay. uh, you can play darts. You can play pool. You mm. There's a bowling sim in it. There's a, a, a chess sim in it as well. Great. There is so much stuff in the, Oh, there's a batting cage sim. What? Which I've honestly never seen in a game before. That's not even in MLB games. <laughs> <laughs> right? So I, I I have been absolutely loving this game. I wow. played I played at least like five to ten hours on on the pool simulator. Damn. Because the pool simulator is really good. I've been I've been playing that a lot. And the you can like choose what level you want to go to and then you bet and you win okay. some money for it. And I'm stuck on the expert level because that guy just he gets like six balls in a row and I can't I can't fight him. I That's hard. Him. Is there not a story to Yakuza? I always thought oh, it there was... is. Okay. Have, <laughs> have, you, have you played any of it? <laughs> I have, I have. I I'm pretty far I'm pretty far in. But okay. uh, every every now and then I'm like, you know what? I should go back to that pool hall. Yeah, oh yeah. Yeah, it's just drawing <laughs> you back. The more games that we cover on this show, the more that I'm loving having games just hidden, like board games hidden in video games. Like we were watching our friends Brandon and Brayden play Final Fantasy VII at the cottage a couple weeks back, and they were just playing darts yeah. for a while. And like the music was <laughs> That's getting... That's what I was doing here. <laughs> the music was like kind of... We were playing board games off to the side, and I was digging the soundtrack in the background. Every, every game needs to have some kind of a tabletop game, and they need to do it well. I'm so hyped to hear that there's a there's a batting cage simulator in yakuza zero <laughs> and is that the latest one in the series or is there another no one? there there have been more that have come out since oh, wow. uh there's okay. like the remakes of the original yakuza's that have okay. come out i'm not sure if there's been like a full sequel but uh something else that you would love is that this game is made by sega we've been giving them a lot of love recently Beauty. uh well it's also set in the 80s so you get to play in sega arcades with sega what? games uh, yes. they don't have sonic but they have outrun Okay, I'll take that. Which, I don't like Sonic, yeah. so that's perfect. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, you can play these these games, and it's like incredibly intuitive. Uh, hmm. You can change the way that you look at it from the screen. We talked about how in Jimmy Neutron last week, he uh, you could see Jimmy Neutron's like kind of face yep. on the arcade. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can do the same thing here in y- Yakuza, but uh, change it up as well. Like you can kind of just have the original CRT kind of style screen. You can make it so it looks like a tube. It's it's amazing. <laughs> That's incredible. I would love if... Is there a Yakuza game set in the 90s where you can play Dreamcast ports? Because that would be great. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I hope so. I hope the next one is that. <laughs> this is the way Sega needs to re- rebrand their games, is to put everything in Yakuza and, and have an arcade set up. That's incredible. I'm glad that you brought this to the table today because I'd love to play it now. It sounds great. Yeah, honestly, just like I, I, I would just play it for that, like, <laughs> like for all that stuff right there. It's so much fun. That's amazing. Well, I'm glad you're enjoying it. And uh, let me know how the ending goes. If you ever do play the story. 
<laughs> All right. Sounds good. Mike, Joey Sirico from Patreon writes in, Now remember, listeners, if you support us at the $5 or above Patreon level, you will get your name read in the credits at the beginning of the episode, and you have the option to submit an opening topic. Joey says, Hey guys, I'd love to submit an opening topic for September. Here you go. I've always wanted to go to Canada and explore the country sometime, and was wanting to know, what are some places or things that you would consider to be quintessentially Canadian? that are a must for people to check out. It can be anything from sightseeing to restaurants to even video game slash arcade related places. Keep up the amazing episodes, guys. Ooh. Ooh, yeah. So Mike, you and I, we record the show from Toronto, Canada. It's where we were both born and raised. We still live here today. And we've had the chance to explore a little bit of Canada, you much more than I, but we obviously have a lot of recommendations for the Toronto area. So I guess we'll start with that. Um, my, my first recommendations would, of course, be the CN Tower. If you're coming into Toronto, you have to go up the CN Tower. Um, just make sure you go on a nice day because if it's cloudy, you're not going to be able to see anything. <laughs> it's uh, the tallest freestanding building in North America, at least, I think. And it's huge. I've only been up it once, but you got a glass bottom to it so you can look right down. Kind of terrifying if you don't like heights. And then a couple other things in that area. you got to go to the Blue Jays game if you're here in the summer. It's pretty affordable. It's only like 20 or 30 bucks Canadian to go to like a nosebleed seat. So you can definitely get in there pretty easily. Uh, and then Ripley's Aquarium is also right nearby. So those three things are right in the hub of downtown. Three sightseeing things that I would highly recommend. And then a video game thing in the city. Mike and my favorite video game store is ANC Games. It's a short walk away from the CN Tower. Well, less than an hour, I guess, would be a short walk. Uh, so highly recommend you check out that video game store. It's definitely Toronto's biggest video game store. Mm, nice, nice. Um, yeah. yeah, I mean, uh, in Toronto, check out the ROM, uh, you know, great museum, all the Egyptian artifacts and everything there. Uh, Badashu Museum is right beside the ROM, uh, which is like one of the coolest museums I've ever been to. Just a museum about shoes. Definitely <laughs> check it out. I love going there. There's also the AGO, uh, so their Art Gallery of Ontario, more art stuff, and they always have really cool installations on. They have that uh, the one that our friend of the show, Dan, went to with the mirrors and lights and oh, I don't know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, you know what I'm talking about. Yeah, yeah. Yep. <laughs> uh, the, one. the listeners are like, what are they, what are they <laughs> saying? Uh, and there's tons of things to do in Toronto, obviously, but mm -hmm. uh, for more quintessential Canadian things, you know, you got to go to Ottawa, see the Parliament buildings, walk around that area of Ottawa, go to Byward Market. Uh, Ottawa is honestly a really, really beautiful place. Like that mm -hmm. area specifically of Ottawa is really beautiful to walk around. Mm -hmm. Stanley Park in Vancouver. One of my favorite places to go, another quintessential Canadian place to see all the totem poles. And mm -hmm. Victoria, BC, is another place that I think not as many American or other tourists go to okay. uh, than Canadians. But uh, it's Victoria is absolutely beautiful. And the island, Vancouver Island, mm -hmm. which is not where Vancouver is on. It's very confusing. Yeah. But uh, Victoria <laughs> is on Vancouver Island. And Vancouver Island is a beautiful, beautiful place. Nice. Uh, it just has one road. That's the only problem. Great. <laughs> so you, there's a lot of rock slides. So in the summer, oh, you can get stuck. But you'll never get lost. But you'll never get lost. <laughs> and other things to do out in the West Coast. Uh, you have Alberta, uh, Banff, and Jasper are both beautiful national parks. I'm actually going to be there the week that this episode goes live. So I love that this topic is right now. Uh, so huge mountains, lakes, forests to explore. Uh, awesome thing to do. We're recommending things that are all thousands of kilometers apart, by the way, Joey. So try not to do all of this in the same week because you'll just burn out if you go from Toronto to Ottawa to Vancouver to Alberta. 
Uh, but yeah, those are all really good, uh, good places to visit. Uh, Mike and I, we also went to Montreal when we were in grade six as a school trip. And a couple things to do there is uh, visit the Biodome, which is like an old Olympic center that's been converted into an indoor zoo. Uh, Mount Royal, which is the mountain that the city was named after. It's a pretty big mountain. You've got a great view of the city once you get up there. Old Montreal is really cool if you like cobblestone mm-hmm. streets and uh, Bloodborne. Kind of feels like you're in that. <laughs> and then Cirque du Soleil, something that our country is very well known for. Got to check out that show. It's really neat. So you get some Montreal smoked meat while you're there too. Ooh, yeah, uh, Montreal's a, a great place. Quebec City, just a little farther east. Also really, really cool, especially in the winter mm-hmm. uh, uh, and seeing Chateau Frontenac mm-hmm. there. And uh, I was also going to say on the East Coast, you know, it's beautiful, beautiful sites on the East Coast. Friend of the show, Jed is from PEI, so Prince Edward Island is always a cool place to visit, but I would uh, personally recommend Bay of Fundy in Nova Scotia. Uh, you get to see the, the crazy tides that they have there, yep. mm-hmm. where I think they go up and down by you know 10 feet or something, or Jeez. more than that. It's pretty crazy. Very that's, cool place, though. That's wild. Unfortunately, in Canada, the beaches are not like tropical. We don't have many warm beaches, unfortunately, but uh, if you can handle cold water, a lot of the lakes are pretty good. And then the oceans, we have the Atlantic and the Pacific coast um, on each side of the country. So you can brave that probably two months of the year if you really want to. Funny story about Bata Shoes, though, the museum. I've really wanted to go there because that's actually the store that my parents met. That's the. Oh, really? Yeah, that's how they uh, they were both working part time jobs there when they were like in, I guess, just out of university. Uh, My dad was working for the Jays at the time and they were on strike. So he had to get another job. So he got a job at Bata Shoes which is where my mom was working and that's how they met. So I would actually love to go to that museum just to kind of see around, just to see like what, what it was like while they were working there or something. I think that'd be a lot of fun. Yeah. Yeah. It's a very cool museum. Yeah. Something to do nearby. Thank you so much, Joey, for that opening topic. And uh, we hope that if you ever do visit Canada, hit us up. Maybe we can try and meet you at ANC games and do some GameCube hunting. Ooh, and go to St. Hubert's or St. Hubert's when you're in, uh, yes. when you're in, uh, people say go to Swiss LA. That's like the Canadian like dine-in fast food place. Honestly, Neil, hot takes, which LA sucks. Oh, yeah. So (laughs) St. Hubert's is way better. It's a rotisserie chicken place in Canada. Swiss LA's are everywhere. St. Hubert is exclusive to uh, Quebec now. But yeah, you used to be in Ontario. I used to be. I used to be a short walk away from one. So good. So good, man. I would die to go back. Uh, Mike, I think it's time for our favorite segment now. What do you think? It's time for the mailbag. Ladies and gentlemen, if you want to write into the show, you can do so by leaving us a review on whatever podcast service you listen to us on. I don't know if Spotify works for reviews, but Apple Podcasts definitely does. You can also leave us a review on Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter. We will read it on the podcast, just like at Chuck7810 did on Twitter. Chuck said, I'm just discovering y'all, and I've been loving this podcast. I've been trying to keep up with the new episodes while listening to the ones from 2020. I like that you said his name as Chuck 7810, <laughs> not Chuck 7810. No. <laughs> I, I like to imagine that he's the 7810th <laughs> Chuck that's be, that's existed on this planet. Or 7810. Like, there's all those. It's like when you hear someone say, like, oh, I listen to Blink 182 or something. Like, <laughs> oh. oh, no, it's so wrong. Thank you so much, Chuck, though. Glad to hear that you're enjoying the show. And uh, it must be fun listening to the show in reverse, like going back in time listening to us. You would just find how bad our early episodes. You'd be like, wow, these guys have gotten really good. Yeah, I I guess so. I don't enjoy these ones as much. (laughs) That's how I would feel. What do you think the dividing (laughs) episode was? Oh, I think it was Sunshine. I think Sunshine. I think the episodes pre-Sunshine are relatively rough. Mm, Um, But after Sunshine, I think they, they are all pretty good. I can't think of any that are like 
super amateur in any way after Sunshine. All we, we did our research more. We kind of got the format down after Sunshine. So it's kind of like the early episodes of Seinfeld where they go to a different diner. Jerry doesn't have the bike on the back yet. <laughs> yeah, like yeah. He's got a skyline and like no computer and his apartment's not quite there yet. We're, those are the early Seinfeld episodes, kind of. That's right. That's where we are. Or yeah. that's where we were. That's where we were. But Mike, now we're on episode 66 of the GameCube is Cool podcast. New episode every Thursday on every major podcast service. We are the number one GameCube podcast on the internet. We're here to look back on all 555 North American GameCube games, one by one, sometimes 12 by 12. So far, we have covered 315 games. You can visit thegamecubewascool.com to check out all the things we've been working on. The website was developed by our very own Mike Lane. That's me. That's him. Last week, we covered the Jimmy Neutron games on GameCube and the film as well. Can't miss that. If you haven't already, go back and check it out. This week, we are covering Spyro the Dragon games on GameCube to celebrate Spyro's 23rd anniversary. We're also going to be talking about the original Spyro games on PS1 because those games are actually good, whereas the ones (laughs) on GameCube are straight up bad or just okay. We did a similar thing with Crash Bandicoot back on episode 20, so if you want to check out that episode, we talk about the PS1 Crash Bandicoot games there, uh, and then come back here and listen to us talk about Spyro. Mike, what are your memories of Spyro the Dragon? Did you play these games back in the day? I somewhat did. I actually played the Game Boy Advance games uh, of Spyro. Yeah, I owned a couple of them. So that's where my introduction to Spyro kind of began. I guess. So I played Spyro Season of Ice. I owned it. I don't know where that box is. I wish I knew where it was, but Mm. uh, someone owns it. Someone has it now and (laughs) is enjoying it more than I did. The box or the game? (laughs) Both. (laughs) But the the, the game itself uh, was, from what I remember, I I enjoyed it, but I didn't like it enough to kind of really get into Spyro. Mm. I knew a lot of people who were into Spyro, uh, especially girls that I knew, Mm. uh, which that was one of my first touchstones where a lot of girls played video games that I played, you know, okay. and that was like a very different, I was like, oh, wow, like girls can also play video games like <laughs> boys, you know, because <laughs> yeah. marketing at, at the time for, for games, we're going to talk about this in a future episode, but marketing at the time for games was so geared to, to guys mm-hmm. all the time. There was like no marketing at all towards a casual gamer or even uh, a girl for that point. Um, and I, I always admired Spyro, but never really loved it, I guess. Okay. Uh, I guess my other touch point would be seeing Spyro in Happy Meals because yes. I believe or Burger King was mm-hmm. it uh, yeah. that Spyro was a toy for. Yeah, see, that's where my that's where my memories of Spyro live. Pretty okay. much is in Happy Meal toys. I always just thought Spyro was this. I knew he was a video game and a video game franchise. I knew he wasn't on N sixty four, so I didn't care as much. But every so often, you know, you'd go to a. I think it was Burger King. You'd go to a Burger King and they had the toys or those little handheld game and watch like toys, which were actually sick. Like the they yeah. they had Sega ones for a while. Like Sonic had a bunch, Spyro had a bunch. Those are the ones that I remember. You also got them in cereal boxes sometimes. But that that's that's just where I think of Spyro whenever I think of that franchise. And also my one family that I knew growing up, friends of my mom, I would go over to their house and they had a PS1. And this was the household that I would go to that I was frustrated that there was no Mario Kart or anything to play. Mm. And they had Spyro. So I remember them playing Spyro at that. I remember just, I think I just had a bad start with the franchise because I wanted to play something Nintendo and I had to watch this purple dragon fly around and collect rubies. <laughs> and I, I just thought it was the weirdest thing on the planet. But 
over the years, especially recently with the Reignited trilogy, I've kind of rekindled a little bit of a love for it, no pun intended, um, that these games are actually very well done 3D collectathons that were very popular in the 90s, especially with games like Banjo-Kazooie and Crash Bandicoot to a lesser extent, but Banjo-Kazooie and Donkey Kong 64 and Mario 64, it fits right in with those games. The quality is very well done and the game sold very well. The franchise started back in 1998 on PS1. It had two sequels, uh, Spyro 2 and 3, which all sold incredibly well. We're going to talk about the games individually in a bit once uh, our guests join us. But the franchise as a whole appears on 12 consoles from start to finish. Uh, Everything from the PS1 to the Game Boy Advance to the Xbox One and everything in between. What I didn't realize is that there's actually only 13 Spyro games, which surprised me. I thought there was at least 20. <laughs> it feels like it sometimes, right? Especially the ones that, because there were a lot that came out on Game Boy Advance and mm-hmm. um, I think DS as well, they yeah. came out for. But mm-hmm. but you do have to remember that at the beginning of the franchise, it was just a PS1 exclusive. Uh, wasn't on anything else. Um, and those three games were, that's the trilogy that we know and love today. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then after that, we kind of got this middle ground uh, where we have a couple of games on the GameCube and other consoles that were made by different developers other than insomniac and then after that we got a new trilogy which was the legend of spyro and we got another three games there uh Mm -hmm. in three years and then after that it kind of went cold we'll talk about skylanders a little bit too because that's where spyro did go and then with the reignited trilogy and then the future Mm -hmm. as well but neil i want to talk about insomniac for a second because you can't really talk about spyro without talking about insomniac no you can't and you can't talk about playstation without insomniac insomniac are a developer they're very well known for their work on ratchet and clank and then the latest spider-man games on ps4 and ps5 which are up there with the most they make they make the highest selling playstation games on the platform we talk about mario kart being a very high attach rate on nintendo consoles insomniac are our playstation's Mario Kart developers, basically. They make all the great games, and they didn't have a great start, though, before Spyro. They had a game that came out before Spyro. Do you have the game there, Mike? Yeah, Disruptor, which was a Doom mm-hmm. clone. Uh, it was, yeah, so that terrible was Doom clone. Ter- terrible Doom <laughs> clone. They actually made it uh, not for the PS1. This is one of the reasons it didn't do well. It was made for the 3DO, if you remember that console. Yeah, so a game that was doomed to fail, no pun intended, on a console that was doomed to fail. It's surprising. It's actually a miracle that they are even alive today, but but uh, they were given a second shot at uh, at making a game, uh, and they made Spyro. So it, yep. it's it just goes to show you what happens if you give a failing developer or really a failing anything. You can put that metaphor towards anything in life, really. If you just give people a second chance, you never know what could come out of it. And Spyro almost or not almost but Spyro was a huge player on PlayStation 1 like you talk about all those games that were geared towards guys and then you had this kooky purple dragon named Spyro who sold millions of units like he was kind of appealing to a child audience when PlayStation was coming out strong appealing to the more teenagers probably and for the most part male gamers yeah and Spyro was created to fight Nintendo for family friendly titles because Sony wasn't loving this massive divide that was happening no, because um, that's that's that isn't good for growth, right? You're just going to both stay in your market, stay in your segments, and it's funny that's that Sony was really trying for the family friendly titles, where we see with GameCube, Nintendo trying to get into Sony's market with the mature titles, right? <laughs> so it's a little little interesting how they tried to swap places for for a bit there, but yeah, um, Spyro did sell 11 million copies in that 
original trilogy alone. So wow. it was a huge moneymaker for uh, Universal, for Sony. Uh, Universal had just signed Naughty Dog to development deal Crash uh, Bandicoot is where that's uh, who made that. Sure. And they were looking for more up and coming developers. So Insomniac was found by Mark Cerny, actually, who he is the creator of Marble Madness, which I thought was right. a little uh, fun, uh, fun yeah. trivia there. Great game that inspired uh, uh, Super Monkey Ball, which is a game mm-hmm. that you and I both love. I, I really love that Sony acquired these studios or not acquired, but developed partnerships with Insomniac, Naughty Dog and Sucker Punch in the early PS1 days and PS2. Yeah. Uh, they developed these partnerships to make... Uh, to make Sly Cooper and Ratchet and Clank and Spyro the Dragon and Crash Bandicoot. And now those three developers are creating some of the best PlayStation exclusives ever, like Spider-Man and Last of Us and Uncharted and Ghost of Tsushima and Infamous. Like it's really cool to see these developers go from making, first of all, a bad Doom clone, but you know, then they made these really good 3D collectathon action platforming games. And now they're making intense story-driven, you know, great, voice acting graphics like some of the greatest video games of all time almost 20 years later it's really great to see how these developers have have grown over the years yeah no honestly and mm-hmm. it's uh very cool to kind of read about the history of them as well and learning about kind of how spyro started off because craig stitt who was an art director for insomniac he pitched doing a, a game about a dragon while uh they were working on this big open world game where uh, players could actually see things far off in the distance and that's what Spyro ended up being and so they were trying to figure out what kind of character they should have for that they hired the artist who did the character design of Crash uh, mm-hmm. which I thought was interesting these these two franchises are definitely forever linked and uh, and they he created or helped create the design of Spyro and originally Spyro was green but they made him purple because Spyro actually blended into the textures way too much uh, when you were playing. So they decided to, you know, use a very unique color uh, and have that purple and yellowish orange uh, Mm -hmm. for him. And and honestly, I think that purple is what has made him so popular. Yeah, it's an iconic color scheme now. Like you you see that purple and gold or yellow, automatically you know it's Spyro. It's almost synonymous with like Mario with the red and the blue and, and other characters out there. So it's pretty incredible. And what makes the games stand out to me, especially are the flying mechanics, because when I play Mario 64, even though that is one of my favorite games of all time, there are some levels where you need to be able to fly using the the wing hat and the flying mechanics in Mario 64 are bad. Like yeah. we can we can all agree that you know it didn't work. I have that down as hot take. Mario 64 flying is bad. <laughs> I, I don't think anybody would disagree with that though. I mean, some people can defend it because they got good at it over the years, but it it doesn't work. You have to basically maneuver a broken Mario around. But the flying mechanics in Spyro are some of the best in any video game I've ever yeah. played, and that's because they actually hired a NASA engineer by the name Ooh. of Matt Whiting, uh, who specializes in flight controls. Uh, was brought on to help with programming camera movement uh, as well as Spyro's movement controls. So that's why the game feels so good is because they they hired a NASA engineer to help develop it. Spyro in space, the next frontier. (laughs) Spyro will be the first dragon on the moon. (laughs) And listeners, if you're out there and you don't have a PS1, you don't want to track down these discs, there is a great... Spyro Reignited Trilogy that has recently come out on Switch, PlayStation 4, Xbox, and I believe PC. I highly recommend that you pick that one up. I have it on PlayStation 4 at home, and it's a great collection. The graphics look incredible. Mm -hmm. And when the game came out, I was honestly a little bit skeptical on how well it was going to sell because even with Crash Bandicoot, like how much... uh, 
nostalgia is really is there really out there for these 3D platformers from the 90s and the Spyro Reignited trilogy sold um, over a million units in the first 2 days at retail wow but that's enough about our memories of Spyro even though we didn't really play the game too much back in the day let's talk about the games that were actually really good which are the ones on PlayStation 1 specifically Spyro the Dragon which was released on September 9th 1998 was developed by Insomniac published by Sony Computer Entertainment it's only on the PlayStation 1 priced today at around $40 rates between 8 and 9 this game sold 4.8 million units and it was followed closely by Spyro 2 Ripto's Rage or Gateway to Glimmer depending on where you lived in the world, was released on November 2nd, 1999, developed again by Insomniac, published by Sony Computer Entertainment. It's a PlayStation 1 exclusive, priced today at around $50. Rates again between 8 and 9, sold 3.4 million units. And finally, we had Spyro 3 Year of the Dragon, was released on October 24th, 2000. The year 2000 was actually the year of the dragon in the Chinese Zodiac, so this game was very, uh, very properly named. It was developed by Insomniac, published by Sony Computer Entertainment, only on PS1, priced today at around $30. This game rates above a 9, between 9 and a 9.5, and sold a wild 7.13 million units. Now, Mike, I would love to talk to you about the original Spyro games, just you and I, but we need to have some people come on and talk about their memories of playing this game back in the day, since I was an N64 kid and you hated the N64. <laughs> so why don't we uh, why don't we let uh, why don't we let a guest join us in today? Uh, who who's on the line? We have our friend of the show Andy on the line, and listeners may remember Andy from the Crash Bandicoot episode way back when, and he was a delightful guest to have on there. And so, Andy, we are going to ask you one question to start off, and it is, uh, what is your favorite Spyro game in the series? Uh, thank you for having me back, guys. Uh, great to be here. My favorite of the Spyro games, without a doubt, um, Gateway to Glimmer, which, as you just mentioned, uh, your North American friends and counterparts and listeners would know it as Ripto's Rage, apparently, which I literally just found out today as I <laughs> uh, opened up the Reignited trilogy for the Xbox. Nice. And so, so we'll, you know, we'll we'll tell you why it is called Ripto's Rage. So what happened was, after the first Spyro came out in Japan, the katakana spelling of Spyro on the Japanese box art looks like the word Ripto, and Insomnia uh, Insomniac really liked this, and they gave the name of the main villain of the game. They called him Ripto, uh, but in order to avoid translation issues for the PAL regions, which includes Japan, uh, that got named uh, Gateway to Glimmer instead of Ripto's Rage. Interesting. Hmm. So Ripto is is Spyro, but like a like the Japanese Vanilla yeah Day. yeah <laughs> basically yeah I love that I it's such a it's so weird when like there are different names in different areas like you'd think like maybe like could we not say Rage in Europe or Australia was there something wrong with that like you always assume that it's something offensive or like I always wonder like do the names of cities ever like offend anybody like when Grand Theft Auto like San Andreas or whatever came out in other countries were they wondering like what what's going on here why do you have like different cities I'm trying to think of another example of that well, a lot of these games, these um, uh, any kind of war games, especially in Germany, I believe, they're all uh, they all had to change their titles uh, if they had mm. gun or war or like anything like that in the titles because of German uh, laws against that. So there, there's all yeah. kinds of little weird things in the world with uh, when it comes to, to renaming stuff. But yeah, that is the story of why it is gateway to glimmer in the PAL regions. And of course, Andy, you grew up in UK, and so. We want to ask you, you know, how did you first get into Spyro then, in this sense? 
Funny story, really. So the, the second one is the one that I played the most, and I'll tell you a bit, maybe about why about that in a moment. But the, the, the reason I got into it was because of Spyro 1 for... Uh, it's probably not called Spyro One, but the first Spyro, um, which my I used to go to a, a before school and after school childminder when I was, you know, I was seven, eight years old. I think you said when it came out, um, and the childminder's kid who was a couple of years younger than me actually, but was really into games, and all he did before and after school was just play games on his PlayStation and and his uh, N64. Uh, he had Spyro One. I really wanted it but I wasn't brave enough to steal his Spyro 1 game, but apparently I was brave enough to steal his PlayStation 1 memory card. <laughs> <laughs> Which then I got caught out and uh, I couldn't go to that childminder anymore. But, you know, it's, it's, I, I stole that and I'm like, well, I'm going to get Spyro 2 because I knew Spyro 2 was coming out. Mm -hmm. um, and so, yeah, I got... I, the reason I got into that was just because it was the one that I owned. I didn't own the rest of them. I got Spyro 2 one Christmas with my Christmas money um, at the same time as buying Crash Team Racing. Uh, not mm. in a bundle specifically, but I, I, just, I, I was able to get a bundle of the two. And actually, I lean, lean over here. I've got still the, uh, the games case uh, nice. that came in. Sound effects. <laughs> Purple case with pink spyro on the front of it it's like an, an embroidered or like upholstered almost <laughs> games case still has uh, a very retro funky memory card for the ps1 in it and all the rest of my playstation games like fifa tony hawks crash bash the memory card that you stole from your daycare <laughs> i was forced to give that uh, <laughs> that's too bad it was one of those see-through ones you know you could see the innards of oh sweet Oh, yeah. And yeah. transparent plastic was just the coolest thing in the 90s. So you're living in like a dreamland right now because all of your favorite games from like as a kid, you, we talked about Crash Bandicoot with you. You mentioned Crash Team Racing and now Spyro all have had reignited trilogies in the last, what, five years now? So you're getting all of your favorite games remade, which is amazing. I'm guessing you picked up the Spyro trilogy? When I got the Xbox uh, Black Friday last year, maybe, maybe the year before, I can't remember now. Um, but the, the, the two games that I picked up specifically were the two reignited trilogies for, well, the one that's called Reignited Trilogy, obviously Spyro, and then the Insane Trilogy, the, the Crash Bandicoot remake there. I have just been reliving my childhood. Beautiful. <laughs> that's what it's all about. I love nostalgia. <laughs> I, I love these collections that are coming out nonstop. Like uh, sometimes I'm like, ah, oh, there's enough remakes, but then occasionally they catch me with some of these other ones that I'm like, ah, oh, this is good. This one can come back. But I picked up Spyro Reignited Trilogy from the library of all things, having not played Spyro back in the day since, like I said, I'm an N64 kid through and through, didn't play Spyro, but I popped in the Reignited Trilogy on my PlayStation 4 and right away I was like, I can see why people like this game. Like obviously the graphics are all way better on PlayStation 4, but just the mechanics of the, the 3d platforming and the combat and the music and the world and the character design it all comes together so beautifully like it, it feels like you're in like a, like a dragon land kind of thing i was even playing it and my mom came home from work and she walked into the room and she was like was this like how to train your dragon what the hell are you playing <laughs> <laughs> and it's like no it's spyro it's spyro the dragon i'm preparing yeah. for a podcast mom get out of my room but uh <laughs> I was just having a, I just lost so much time just wandering around collecting gems and 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 like burning sheep and stuff like there's just so many little fun quirky things to do that it balances so well like having a kiddish atmosphere but not being a game specifically for kids if that makes any sense like this is a game that adults can play and kids can play and have equally as much fun 
It's a very family-friendly game, yeah. Because there's things that, as a kid, I could never do on these games just because I didn't have the patience for it, probably. Uh, but, yeah, it's, even as an adult, I'm finding, like, ah, oh, this level's still really tough. There's, there's games in every corner of the game as well because it's, like, levels and worlds within worlds. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, it's... Uh... When Spyro the Dragon came out, one of the criticisms, I guess, was that, oh, this is too much like a kid's game. You know, they mm-hmm. uh, and Insomniac really hated that people called it like a childish game. They're like, no, no, this is like relatively hard. There's there's quite a bit of stuff that you have to go through. It's it's not like an easy game. And so Spyro 2 was actually a direct kind of response to that. They they tried to add a lot more things. There was a lot of focus on mini games and challenges throughout the, the game. Uh, there was a lot more collectibles as well uh, that you had to kind of go back for. Mm-hmm. Spyro 2, I think, is is definitely a more polished game overall and and does add more of a challenge uh, to the franchise. Definitely. Like, I, I always hate the argument about kids' games being, like, super easy. Obviously, there are kids' games that are super easy, but, like, a game like Yoshi's Island, I've always heard people say, oh, it's, you know, it's too simple. It's, you know, it's That's not a hard, hard enough. game. Go in 100% Yoshi's Island and tell me you didn't rage quit at least five times in that in that 50 hour project. That's one of the hardest games. If you try and 100% a Yoshi game, like good luck. I've done it a few times. I don't think I can even do Yoshi's Island like 100%. There's no way. And Spyro the Dragon is the same thing where it, it's easy if you just want to play through the story and get to know the characters and beat the boss and that's it. But if you want to go back and collect everything that needs to be collected and do all the challenges and go through all the little side quests here and there. It's a really hard game, and it's 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 the perfect game if you're the type of person who likes to just you know unplug and maybe put on a podcast. You don't have to get too dialed this into podcast. the story and the this podcast, <laughs> yeah, and yes. the GameCube is cool podcast while you're playing Spyro the Dragon, and uh, and just you know have a good time with it. And I always hear people say that you know two and three are so much better than one, but the Reignited trilogy did such a good job of like blending all the games together yeah. in in such a cohesive package that like I couldn't really tell the difference. Honestly, I was jumping between one, two, and three uh, just to feel how each game was if there's anything new new characters but like i couldn't tell you which level was from which game anymore no i think they they did a really good job with the the remakes that they felt closer in gameplay to each other mm-hmm. um like the, not the old ps1 clunkiness to it or they felt stylistically very meshed together which which is great um because then like you said you can you can jump in and out and as a a new player of the game it doesn't matter whether it whether it was a a level from the first one or the third one you know you're enjoying it for what it is now rather than Mm -hmm. just what it was in the 90s or late 90s yeah and i think that's important and that's something that a lot of remasters will often miss like we've talked about a couple of remakes on the show that that really did not hit the mark but i gotta say for both the crash insane trilogy and the spyro trilogy they did a really good job of making it a super cohesive vision uh funny thing too and it's it's good that we're talking to you today andy because spyro the dragon the first game as well as ripto's rage actually sold way better in europe than in america especially at the beginning uh Mm. so spyro was actually a big european phenomenon before it was a north american phenomenon was it an earlier release over over here or there? Or? No, uh, Spyro was uh, released first in North America on September 9th, 1998. And uh, I just have here Europe was October of 1998. So we got it first, but uh, you guys, uh, I guess, stuck to it way Appreciation faster than <laughs> mythical dragons being friends with. I think this character I'm just walking up to now, I think she's a fawn, maybe. Is that right? Elora, yeah. Yeah, he says that in the game, I think. Spyro's like, what are you, some kind of donkey? And she's like, I'm a fawn. <laughs> 
dummy. That, that's that, that is something that I did love about Spyro in terms of like the, the writing was like just on that line of kitty kiddishness of like and wackiness, but also like not too far gone that you're kind of rolling your eyes. It's not like Conker's Bad Fur Day of like <laughs> South Park level dialogue where they're just making poop jokes all the time, and it wasn't like mario 64 dialogue where there was none yeah so yeah it, it, <laughs> it definitely skated that line i do want to talk about speaking of voice acting the voice acting cast in the original yeah. spyro trilogy is very well renowned um especially with uh spyro 2 where we get tom kenny voice of spongebob coming in to voice spyro and a few other characters too i think i could pick him up in a few a few places there but the original voice actor of Spyro, I'm going to screw up this last name so you guys can correct me if you know it, but Carlos Alasraki uh, provided the voice for Spyro in the original game. You might know him for his voice for Mr. Crocker on Fairly Odd Parents. And a deep cut here is Mr. Weed from Family Guy. Do you guys remember when Peter had a boss? <laughs> what a deep cut. He was also yeah. Rocco on Rocco's Modern Life. Uh, oh, and he was okay. Sheen Estevez in Jimmy Neutron. We talked about that last episode. That's right. That's right. It ties the two episodes together. But after that, it was uh, Tom Kenny who uh, voiced Spyro for the majority of Spyro after the first game. And uh, he even came back in the Reignited trilogy as well. Another uh, another SpongeBob alumni, Clancy Brown, voices a couple characters throughout the Spyro mm. universe. Uh, he right. also famously voices Neocortex from Crash. So every- yep. again, Crash and Spyro are always connected. I was going to say, there, there's got to be a connection there. And I, I just looked at the back of the two uh, Xbox Reignited versions, and, and that might be uh, showing different people, but there must be a connection in the manufacturers or the, the producers of the original game. Is that right? Yes, it was, it was both, both Universal who, um, mm-hmm. who published the games. and There's the studio, yeah. Yeah, and, and so then uh, Naughty Dog developed uh, Crash, and then Insomniac developed... Uh, Spyro. It's, it's crazy to think that the, the the guys that made Spyro also made Ratchet, and then they also made like Sunset Overdrive for Xbox, and now Spider Man. Like, it's just it's just so impressive to see the growth that these studios made over the years. I think Toys for Bob made the remakes of Crash and Spyro. I would love to yeah. see them make their own original game with like a crossover. I would just these two characters, these two franchises and worlds are just begging to be combined at some point. I remember when I bought the Crash Team Racing and Spyro 2 um, combo back in the day, and there were the magazines for PlayStation that would tell you some of the cheat codes and things. Mm -hmm. There were cheat codes that you could unlock demos for the other game. So Spyro had a demo for Crash Team Racing hidden in it. Crash Team Racing had a demo for Spyro hidden in it. I love that cross-pollination. They need to do more of that. <laughs> That's very cool. I didn't know that. I didn't know that. Yeah, very strange to me that the two games I had both had demos of each other. <laughs> I love that. Andy, I, I did want to ask you uh, a question here, and it's what do you think about the music for the Spyro trilogy? Uh, I wouldn't necessarily say iconic in the same way as some of the music from Crash was. Um, definite. Uh, definitely things that have stuck with me for the long term. Um, for quite a while, I was a, a radio commercial producer. Uh, I was, and I picked out music for random commercials for random clients all across Canada. Um, and sometimes I would skip into these music libraries and be like, hey, this sounds like that level from Spyro. Why the <laughs> heck am I remembering that? That's so, like, totally random. It's not like... With some of the crash music, I could sing that to you. But I can't, I couldn't sing you any of the Spyro music. But, sure. But it's there. It's there in the back of my mind. 
Mm-hmm. You might be surprised to know that uh, the composer of the Spyro music, uh, a Brit himself, that's Stuart Copeland from The Police. The drummer of The Police did all the music mm-hmm. for the original Spyro trilogy. Wow, that's that's a great fact. I love it. <laughs> yeah, he, he actually has a really like knowledge bombs all over them. <laughs> <laughs> he actually has a really big list of uh, games, TV shows, movies that he's worked on. Maybe not composed the music completely on, but I'm surprised at how much work he's done outside of the police. And he was actually quoted as saying that uh, the game's music was some of his best compositions uh, that he that he felt that he had ever made. Which honestly makes me think that Sting wrote a lot of the music for the police, and even <laughs> the drum parts for the songs. I think I think that Sting is a bit of a difficult person to work with. And after yeah, and Stuart Copeland finally got a chance to spread his wings, no pun intended, and uh, make music for Spyro. I obviously I can't speak to whether Sting is or is not to work with, having not ever worked with Sting myself. <laughs> ah. The, Sting, the fact that he is mentioned on Friends but doesn't appear on Friends, mm. isn't it? His, his wife appears on Friends. It's like, yeah, we can't get you Sting, but we'll get you someone really close. <laughs> Sting's wife is joining the cast of Friends. All right. But yeah, I just thought that was really interesting. I didn't know he did soundtracks. And uh, it's I find that drummers are often really good when it comes to, to like soundtracks. Uh, mm-hmm. especially just just instrumental things. I think they understand it a lot more. They understand kind of ambient sound and background noise, I think a lot more than, than a lead singer or a guitarist might. So I always like to see when drummers do uh, do soundtracks. But yeah, Stuart Copeland did the entire trilogy and uh, I believe Neil also did the Reignited trilogy. That's right. He's credited as the composer for the Reignited trilogy. So I'm guessing that the music was re-recorded for that trilogy. I didn't go back and do my research on there, but the sa- the sound is obviously way better. It's yeah. not compressed anymore, so they must have re- re-recorded a lot of that music. And I need to give a shout-out now that Mike mentioned drummers and soundtracks. Phil Collins has the greatest soundtrack of all time with his work on Tarzan. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> uh, I believe uh, Phil Collins also did another Disney film that I think goes under. Didn't he? Yeah, Brother Bear. Brother Bear, yeah. 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 Always That's goes right. under the radar. I'm it like, does. <laughs> those songs are That's bangers. not the only one he did, you know. I've got knowledge bombs. Brother Bear soundtrack's just as big a banger as in the air tonight, man. You can I'll fight you over that. <laughs> I there is a hilarious challenge level in this game that I'm not sure if either of you remember or saw, but there is a ice hockey challenge. Complicated, <laughs> frustrating sometimes if the game just doesn't want you to win that level that yeah. day. But so fun. I don't think I had ever seen an actual like ice hockey kind of challenge uh, in any game before this, uh, other than obviously hockey games. So I, th- I was like, when I, <laughs> I when I initially saw this, I was like, oh my god, there's hockey. <laughs> It's incredible. I love the sporting uh, challenges in Spyro. It's just such a random thing that doesn't need to be in the game that is. like. But it makes it so cool. It makes it different, you know? I'm just watching the ice level now from the original Spyro game on, on PS1. These are incredible graphics that the PS1 was doing compared to the N64. Just to com- I like to compare the two since I played a lot of 3D platformers on N64, specifically like Mario and Banjo-Kazooie and Donkey Kong Country and Conquer and like the PlayStation 1 was just doing so much better with graphics back in the day. It could obviously process a lot more. Um, like, like they had the reflection going on the ice that, like, we praise uh, Mario Sunshine for doing on that one level where Mario's on, like, a mirror. Like, Spyro mm-hmm. did that on, in 1999. <laughs> <laughs> Ahead of its time. Yeah. Uh, also in Spyro 2, there, obviously these are great games. No, no doubting that. But one thing I didn't love 
and I don't like this in any game, is the fact that there are water levels in Spyro 2. Mm. I had this thought because I remember last time when we spoke about Crash um, that we said something about how water levels suck in every game. The gameplay is always like clunky or, you know, like with the, the difficult levels. So as a kid, you want to skip them the most. I actually quite like the water levels in Spyro. Okay. Mm. Not as easy to control because, you know, you do those, he's running, you're like, ah, it's fun. But um, I, I enjoy, I enjoy the running. I enjoy the... Um, not being able to control it quite so well in Spyro. <laughs> Crash, yeah, I still hate those water levels, but Spyro, I quite, I quite like swimming under the water in Spyro. The, the vibrate it gives you as well. I, I, yeah, just, just that whole sensual experience of it. <laughs> you know, yeah, I hands, hats off to Spyro. I, I enjoy the water levels on Spyro. Mm. I really don't like the speedway flying levels on Spyro because they're a pain to complete. They as are well. a pain. That is true. And I, I get that's the point. You gotta have a challenge. But as a kid, I just wanted easy levels. <laughs> and so yeah, the speedway levels are just frustrating. Even when we got the ignited trilogy, the reignited trilogy, um, my wife and I sat down and tried to play mm -hmm. them, and we're both like getting frustrated at the flying <laughs> levels and passing the controller to each other. You do it. Gosh. <laughs> Can't do it. Like sat there for an hour trying to complete one oh my level God. just because we're so mm. stubborn. <laughs> well, let's mm. move on to uh, Spyro Year of the Dragon, the final entry in the trilogy. And now this was a massive, massive game. Uh, almost twice as big as one and two combined, actually. Mm -hmm. So they really took the open world factor of the first two games and and put it up a notch it's a, it's a huge game it's it's again really fun to play they tried to make it a little more challenging as well uh neil what are the, the differences do you know what the differences really are for year of the dragon between the other two yeah one of the new things in year of the dragon that i i was really interested in reading about was something that they included called auto challenge tuning you mentioned difficulty in the game mm -hmm. uh what auto challenge tuning was act for short uh in a an interview with the Insomniac Games CEO Ted Price, he said, ACT is a system that Brian Hastings, our VP of Programming, invented to even out the gameplay difficulty curve for players of different abilities. Without going into details, ACT is designed to sense how well a player is doing and interactively tune the game's difficulty so that the hardcore players are constantly challenged and so that the novice players don't get frustrated. It really is an amazing system and most players will never know it's there working in the background. Like, hmm. that is so cool. Like, just game aside, gameplay and Spyro and the story and everything, new elements aside, that is something that more video games need to have is an auto-challenge tuning, I guess, mode in the game to make the game automatically get harder or easier depending on how I'm doing. Like, I find that sometimes you put a game on normal and it's really hard or it's really easy. You bump it up a little bit and the and the change is just so dramatic that, like, a game like yeah. Spyro, of all things, included something like this is really ahead of its time. Really smart. That is very smart. Um yeah, I'm trying to think. I, I know I've played a game before that's been like, hey, it looks like you're struggling. Do you want us to make it easier for you? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> to, to consciously make something harder because it knows that you're doing really well. It's, it's quite smart. Mm. Yeah, quite smart. And, you know, I just want to reiterate the fact here that this is the, you know, it's the third game in the trilogy. This is 2000. The trilogy started in 1998. So yeah. they were able to make these massive improvements to each entry, each new entry in this game within basically like uh, two years. Two years. So it's yeah. just incredible the amount of work that Insomniac, who was only, I believe, a 30 person team at the end of all this, I think they started wow. with just like five of them, uh, but uh, <laughs> uh, 30 Jeez. people to, to make these games is honestly just an incredible, incredible feat. And at the end, 
of Spyro uh, uh, Year of the Dragon, there's a little message that comes up and it says, we hope you have enjoyed the Spyro trilogy. We've had four great, fun, sleepless years creating it. And I think to a lot of people, that was a interesting thing because no one expected this to end. Uh, right. Just expect Spyro to come out forever. But Spyro did end at some point there. I actually mm-hmm. just got to the hockey level as well, guys. And uh, this is fun. <laughs> <laughs> well, Spyro did end for Insomniac. This was the last game that they developed. And they probably thought, you know, that's it for us. That's mm-hmm. what they meant by that. Not necessarily that the character was done, just that no. the character was done for them. And they did say that after four years, almost five years of working with this character since their first game, Disruptor, um, they, they wanted to move on to other projects. And, and thank God they did. Because imagine like in 2021, if Insomniac was still making Spyro the Dragon games, like we wouldn't have Ratchet Clank, we wouldn't have Spider-Man, we wouldn't have all of these great games that they went on to develop. Unfortunately, that does mean that Spyro the Dragon, the keys to Spyro the Dragon w- were given to other developers, which we're going to talk about in a little bit uh, with the sixth generation hardware. But yeah, that, that's a really nice message. It just makes it feel a little bit more personal, which I guess Insomniac could do in a time when there was only a few dozen people working on the game, just a few creators and a bunch of animators in one building working cohesively on this project. It's a really nice touch. It almost makes it feel like an indie game. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it really does in that sense. But um, uh, Andy, have you played anything past this original trilogy? Have you had any touchstones with with any of those games, including I guess the Skylanders games as well? No, I knew he was a it was a character in the other game as well. That it was Skylanders is the one I guess uh, he's a <laughs> character within it. But no, never had any experience of playing that. Honestly. You're probably you're probably fine. <laughs> I don't think you I don't think you can play Skylanders anymore. It's shut down. It's a, and it's a toys to life game. So as soon as that gets as soon as that stops being supported, I don't think you can really go back to it unless you just want to buy the boatloads of toys that they produced. That's true. <laughs> but yeah, for the listeners that don't know, Skylanders was not on GameCube, but it was a, a toys to life craze between October of 2011 and December of 2018. So it ran for seven years. Uh, the first set was called Spyro's Adventures. So it was kind of like this world building expansion pack to the Spyro universe. And it spun off to a bunch of different expansions within that expansion. So the connect between uh, the Toys to Life series and Spyro was quickly kind of left behind, but it was still in the Spyro universe. All games that came out rated around an 8 out of 10, so they were all, for the most part, good, if not great. And I was just looking at the voice acting list, and some characters were voiced by uh, people like Justin Long, James Hetfield of Metallica, Ashley Tisdale from like High School Musical, Patrick Warburton from Seinfeld, who we love, uh, Catherine O'Hara, who's an amazing actress, Susan Sarandon, and many more. So like, even Skylanders had an incredible voice cast as well. And uh, as of 2016, the latest sales metric that I could find was that the game and toys had grossed over $3 billion. Wow. But yeah, that's my that's my quick book report on Skylanders. Back to you, Mike. <laughs> well, thank you. Thank you for that quick book report, Neil. And uh, Andy, we have one last question for you before you go. And it's, what do you see as the future of the Spyro franchise? You know, where would you like this to go? And would you pick up a new Spyro platformer if it came out today? I'd, I don't know. Um, I definitely would go to a Crash one. Mm-hmm. I was wholly committed to the Crash franchise. Spyro, really, I, I picked up the trilogy probably because of the gimmick, but because I loved Spyro 2 so much. Yeah. Would I try a new one? Maybe, if the price was right, maybe. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's fair. If it came out near Christmas and I could say, hey, yeah, get this for me for Christmas. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I, I'm i a guy that likes to give things a go at least twice. Yep. I like yep. that philosophy. Uh, 
Now, I don't think if a Spyro game came out, it would be a full $79.99 game, but did you pick up the new Crash game that came out, I believe, late last year? Whoa. Uh, this is news to me. No, this, this is how much this is what? how much attention I pay to gaming. <laughs> so you say you'd pick up a new Crash game. A new Crash game came out. You didn't buy it. <laughs> well, now yeah, I they know put out... about it. I probably will pick it up. Yeah, great. Thanks, guys. <laughs> We're here to inform. That's what we do here. <laughs> Catching me out on that more knowledge bombs <laughs> that's what we're all about here is knowledge bombs but uh thank you andy for joining us today it has been an absolute pleasure and we hope to see you again soon and uh yeah keep enjoying spyro reignited thank you very mm -hmm. much i'm just heading to amazon to purchase a new crush game <laughs> crash bandicoot 4 it's about time came to shelves on september 16th 2020 so you should be able to find it no problem and that's a great name for it too wicked thanks guys it's been a pleasure chatting <laughs> to you again thanks for having me back of course no problem andy take care what a nice young man what a nice young man thank you very much andy for coming on and sharing your memories about spyro some great memories and i'm glad we were uh, able to drop some knowledge bombs on him too <laughs> yeah we dropped a lot of knowledge bombs on him there mike uh, a lot a lot of good knowledge bombs specifically around Stuart copeland uh, been addicted to his line of work the last couple of days while researching for this podcast uh, realized that he also did some work on the amanda show if you recall that one the Nickelodeon great oh Amanda Bynes show. That's a that's a yeah. Back. I don't think he did like all the music for that show, uh, but he did do some of the songs for that show. I don't know what, but uh, yeah, he 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 got around in the nineties uh, and two thousands, which is amazing. <laughs> but some great memories around Spyro the Dragon, the original trilogy. One horrible memory around Spyro the Dragon, the original trilogy. I need you to look on your computer mic here and search up Hunter the Cheetah from Spyro the Dragon. Okay. <laughs> This character is absolutely terrifying. I don't know what depths of hell they reached in to pull this thing out of and put him into a video game, but he's one of the he's one of the worst designed characters I've ever seen in my life. I'm sorry for anybody that worked on this game who might be listening to this, but they did him quite a bit of justice in the Reignited trilogy. Yeah, he looks like an actual like cheetah warrior now, but in the old one he was basically the squished version of the of the of the Cheetos mascot without yes. sunglasses. <laughs> That's a perfect description of it. He looks like uh the Cheeto Tiger. Why am I forgetting his name now? Chester the Cheetah, I think. He looks like that, but if Chester the Cheetah was folded like origami and then unfolded and then put through the laundry and then put into a video game, that's what we're looking at right here. Also, his ears look like butterfly wings. I don't know what was going on there. They're barely attached to his head. If if this thing came out to me in the middle of the night, I'd, I'd shoot myself in the head. I couldn't take whatever torturous method this thing would do to me. But uh, before I do that, let's move on to some more torture, Mike. What do you say? Yeah, let's continue the torture here. <laughs> and uh, yeah, let's go from some really, really good games to some uh, not, not they're, great They're games. bad. They're bad. Uh, uh, bad and okay. That's what we're going to get from these next three games. The GameCube installments for the Spyro universe. Take it away, Neil. Mm. Yeah, Mike, the first Spyro game on the sixth generation of hardware was Spyro Enter the Dragonfly on November 5th, 2002, developed by Check 6 Studios and Equinox Digital Entertainment. It's published by Universal Interactive. It's also on PlayStation 2, priced today at around $15. This game rates between 4 and 5 out of 10. Now, Mike, we don't like to suffer alone. I think that we have a, a guest joining us today to talk about Enter the Dragonfly. Who do we have on the line? We have our friend of the show, Quinn, who is joining us today for the first time. She's here to talk about a little bit of Spyro, a little bit of Enter the Dragonfly. But first, Quinn, we have a question for you, for all our first-time guests, and it is, did you own a GameCube back in the day? 
That is an excellent question. I have never owned a GameCube, but my uh, my next door neighbor owned a GameCube, and that's where I did most of my gaming. Close enough. Yeah, very nice. I, I feel that that that's that's like everyone's story with this generation because only 21 million GameCubes got sold, and now that does sound like a big number, but uh, 150 million PlayStation 2s were sold at the same time. So GameCube was definitely the little brother yeah. of that uh, console war. So it ended up being a lot of people's uh, neighbors or friends of friends had GameCubes, and that's kind of how they got their introduction to it. So so it's definitely understandable. Do, do you remember what games you played at your neighbor's house on that GameCube? Okay, I've played two games only on GameCube proper, mm. and those games are Spyro, Enter the Dragonfly, and Prince of Persia, weirdly oh, enough. It's a great representation of the GameCube library right there. <laughs> <laughs> Prince of Persia and Spyro, Enter the Dragonfly, which we are talking about today. And this game, now, we want to preface this by saying that this is quite the... I don't want to say abomination, but I, uh, it's it's not a good game. It's polarizing. Uh, it's polarizing. It's polarizing because, for sure. Because it followed up three of the greatest games in the Spyro universe, or three of the best games in the Spyro franchise, I guess you could say, with one, two, and three, which brought a lot of people in to, to the franchise. Like, a lot of people have a ton of love for the, the little purple dragon, you know, it's like their childhood on the PlayStation 1, and then it jumped to the sixth generation hardware with Enter the Dragonfly different developer it wasn't done by insomniac and the quality was a bit of a dip so uh we wanted to have a guest on today to talk a little bit about their love for the franchise more so than the game since your love for spyro prevailed even though you did play enter the dragonfly correct correct and i i actually did like a deep dive into the game today i watched a bunch of gameplay and i was i was kind of upset about how awful it was <laughs> because I don't remember it being that mm. and that was the question that I did want to ask and so you answered it right there was was has your perspective changed from you know when you played this as a kid nostalgia glasses to to now when you're looking at it you're looking at that that opening cutscene and you're thinking my god what is this yeah I mean I remember most of what I remember about the game is just the running around in the world and thinking it was so cool and all the funny voices and like um the the characters and uh the sound effects mostly it's very mm -hmm. stimulating but yeah watching it today i was like oh my god i don't remember having to do all these awful activities like driving around yeah. in in a tank and <laughs> flying in a plane I don't know. And like shooting, <laughs> it, it, it's just not for me. That's not my Spyro. So what is your Spyro then? What what about Spyro do you love then? Like what, what would make a great Spyro game then? My favorite parts, I guess, of the franchise are just running around, like I said earlier, getting those gems, baby. And yeah. <laughs> doing the cool jumps and the moves and like hearing that dragonfly make those like noises that's pretty good <laughs> yeah, I, I, i've been practicing all day i swear um yeah it's just the the cuteness and the wholesomeness of it and i feel like being in a in a plane that can shoot um missiles kind of takes away from that yeah that's a very good point because because spyro 
after those three initial games in the 90s, they, they did have trouble figuring out where to go next. And there was a lot of this tinkering to try and, you know, yeah, add basically uh, weapon weaponized vehicles into Spyro, which obviously did not work well. <laughs> And just the freedom of those games, the open world concept of, of those games is what really what I think hooks a lot of people in. And uh, I would assume it hooked you in as well in that sense. Absolutely, it did. I just like all the games that I've loved in my life are games where you're just a cute little guy and you get to explore this world and jump around and climb trees. And and that's all I've ever wanted to do in game. In games and in real life. <laughs> In That's games right. and in real life, yes, I'm an avid tree climber. Beautiful, <laughs> wonderful. It, it, it's just such a great game, like in terms of world building, like Spire, like there's the dragons and then there's like other characters too. Like Mike and I talked a few minutes about, ago about a walking cheetah. That was one of the characters and there's a fawn and there's like wizards and fairies and dragonflies. There's just all these characters and they're all designed so well. Like they go together so seamlessly. Like they're clearly like there's a shared vision amongst like the, the, the character designers, I guess, of these games. And it's no wonder that a franchise like Skylanders, which came out based on the Spyro universe, uh, to such critical acclaim, like uh, the toys were selling incredibly well because they all looked so good together. It, it's the same thing in the PlayStation One era, and even like even the characters in the GameCube games, like they don't look terrible. Like the character design isn't awful. I mean, it isn't in Enter the Dragonfly. The later games they get a little bit better, but the the Spyro games are just so good at making these characters really come to life and interact so well together, and the voice actors do a good job. You could tell that they had fun making the project, which is what you want to see in a video game like Spyro, which is meant to be like a family-friendly game for kids and adults. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Quinn, do you have any specific memories of playing Enter the Dragonfly? Is there anything that sticks out, you know, watching gameplay and stuff this week? Is there anything that really sticks out to you that you remember? I think it's just like <laughs> the joy and the um, freedom of romping, just romping. And like, I also love that it's so non-violent, which has always been uh, more important to me. I don't know if that's like a feminine trait to have. And honestly, guys, I, I expected Maybe. that your hatred of this game was because it's more for children and it feels kind of like it's for girls. But now I understand. I was going to take a completely different stance on this and my, my mind has been changed. Ooh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> No, I, I don't I don't think that the game is like overly I don't think it skews towards girls too much. Actually I was playing the game just the other just last night and I, I was feeling bad because I was doing nothing but incinerating sheep and like they just turn into a pile of ash like when you set them on fire. And I was like, is this what I'm supposed to be doing? Uh because this just this feels like wrong. <laughs> but you are supposed to like I felt so bad for them because they're like dorky eyes, like they look all sad when like I'm chasing after them, but I gotta I gotta you have to kill everything on that map to hundred percent the game. So Every single thing on that map has to die, including the sheep. So, no, I don't think that the game is, like, overly kiddish at all. I mean, like, yeah, the, the script is very Saturday morning cartoony, and there's no blood and gore and anything like that, but... I'm also glad that uh, we changed your mind on uh, uh, that That this was a... This is a quote-unquote unplayable game. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I guess for you, Quinn, like, this this got you into... Like, did this get you into playing more games? It's not allowed. Yeah, I think it... It got me into playing more similar games. I mean, my favorite games. Am I allowed to talk about N64? Yes, of course. I, oh, I mean, I, the running gag is that I hate the N64, <laughs> but... Uh... <laughs> what the hell? That's absolutely unthinkable. That's what I say. Yeah, no, my favorite games, and I mean, they're comparable to Spyro, are 
Donkey Kong 64 mm. and Banjo-Kazooie. Nice. And again, it's just because the worlds are so fun and the characters are so bonkers bananas that it's just endless entertainment to just jump around and uh, look at all the random cool stuff yeah. that's in the world. Like, And that was that's funny that you say that because these the, the original Spyro games before Enter the Dragonfly were supposed to be based off of the Donkey Kong 64s, the Banjo-Kazooie's, the Mario 64s. Mm-hmm. That's kind of where the inspiration came from. So You know what, Mike? I have played some other Spyro games. I don't remember the titles, but I have played some Game Boy Advance games. And I remember them being so much so much more fun and like just less frustrating and stressful. <laughs> yeah, your your intro was Enter the Dragonfly, which is a tough <laughs> that's a tough intro. That's a tough bar. Tough to sell you on the franchise. Aren't the Game Boy Advance games 2D platformers? They're not really like the same. Obviously, they're not 3D platforming exploration puzzle solving games cuz the Game Boy Advance couldn't do that. Uh Mike, you mentioned playing one back in the day. Was that one I haven't seen much of the Game Boy Advance games. There, I think most of them were like the kind of 2D platformer collectible okay. style, but but they were in very much the same vein as the original trilogy. But it, it, it was so cool to be able to play Spyro, you know, on the Game Boy Advance. Like that was definitely, yeah. just that alone made it worth it. And now you can play the original trilogy on Switch in all of its glory, which is terrific. And just going back, like what Quinn said about like playing Donkey Kong 64 and Banjo-Kazooie, it's so sad how the 3D platformer really like started in 1995 and ended in 2001, like with Spyro Enter the Dragonfly, mm-hmm. like that was really the first nail in the coffin of 3D platformers, which was such a shame. So Quinn, like if, if a game like that came back, like a Banjo-Kazooie or a Spyro the Dragon in this style of a 3D platform collectathon, basically, would you be interested in picking something like that up in 2021? Not counting like the trilogy uh, remastered, would you cl- would you buy a brand new game? That was an incredible sales pitch, Neil. Yes, I would. <laughs> Hands down. I would play. I would pay any money for that. Same. I'm still waiting for a Crash Bandicoot. We're just selling everybody on games today, Neil. We sold oh, yeah. Andy on, on the new Crash game. We're selling Quinn on a on a future Banjo game that is definitely not coming out. <laughs> oh, future Spiral game, though. Future Spiral game is more future possible. Game. Future yeah, Banjo-Kazooie yeah. game. That would never happen. I would lose my mind if that would happen, but... We'll see. I'll just wait here for that to happen. We'll wait here for that. And Quinn, is there anything else you'd like to say before we let you go for today? Absolutely. I actually have some Spyro trivia for you guys. Ooh, Ooh, okay. So before they landed on the name Spyro, do you know what they had in mind for the name of the dragon? No. What what, what did they have in mind? Yeah. Um, Just Pete. Pete. Oh, Pete. Pete. Like, so Pete's dragon. <laughs> hmm. Nothing wrong with that. <laughs> Nothing wrong with that. There's no way Disney uh, wouldn't have uh, come out at them for that. No, I don't know. Hey, maybe don't name it Pete. <laughs> mm. There might be some confusion there. Yeah. But yeah, that's, that is some very good Spyro trivia. I, I did not know that. No. Interesting. There you go. Awesome. Well, thank you very much for coming on the show today, Quinn. We really appreciate it. And uh, we hope to see you next time for Prince of Persia. Yeah. I would have to do a hell of a lot of research, but I am absolutely, (laughs) I am open to anything. Great. Amazing. (laughs) Cool. Looking forward to that. Thank you so much for coming on today. We really appreciate anybody who comes on giving up their time and going back in time with, uh, for some spiral memories. For some Pete memories. Yeah. Pete Pete the Dragon memories. memories. (laughs) Little Pete. Thanks, boys. Loved it. Anytime. Awesome. Take care. Take care. Bye-bye. 
What a nice young lady. What a nice young lady. Thank you so much, Quinn, for coming on and talking about some memories with Spyro. Realizing that Enter the Dragonfly is indeed a terrible game. Terrible start for her for this franchise, but I'm glad that she yeah. still has kept her love for that little dragon, for Pete. It's, it sounds like she has kept her love for Pete, Mike. Uh, like what what I said, like she she's interested in picking up a new Spyro game. So I think it's obvious that they probably will make another Spyro game eventually. They, they have to. Like almost like Crash Bandicoot. Like they gave Crash Bandicoot the Insane Trilogy and then Crash Team Racing and then Crash 4, which apparently none of the Crash fans knew that game even came out because Andy didn't know <laughs> until just today. And that game's been out for almost 12 months. Yep. Yep. Mike couldn't really get a ton of time to talk about uh, Enter the Dragonfly with Quinn. But we didn't want to burden have... her with with uh, no. the, the horrible, some of the horrible stuff we found while researching. But uh, yeah, I can I can go ahead and and talk a little bit about uh, about what, what I found while um, unfortunately going through this terrible mm. game. Actually, before I do that, though, we had a friend of the show, Hunter. Hunter, he wrote in to us. Hunter uh, the Cheetah? Hunter the Cheetah. <laughs> uh, Hunter, brother of Harrison, friend of the show Harrison, uh, he wrote into us, uh, I'm just going to paraphrase here, he said, like most bad games, I don't remember that much about it, but I do remember that the loading screens took a thousand years and it was not a fun time ever. There's oh, no. no other game as bad as this for the GameCube, at least none that I have tried so far. Huge like. Mm. Uh, and then brother, uh, and then Harrison, uh, he told me, now, this is just conjecture, Neil, but okay. he did tell me that uh, the game was apparently so bad that it made Hunter cry. Oh, no. So um, Hun- Hunter the boy, not Hunter the che- the cheetah. Both, actually. Oh, okay. How did Chester the cheetah find uh, Enter the Dragonfly? <laughs> did he cry as well? What's Harrison's, uh, what's Harrison's relation to Chester cheetah? Uh, I, think, uh, I think they are step-siblings. Oh, okay. Twice removed. Gotcha. <laughs> Twice removed. Good to know. Wow, wow. Spyro Enter the Dragonfly did make Hunter cry, and it also uh, caused some other unfortunate ailments amongst uh, its players. But let's dive into that now, Mike. So why don't we go back into the trenches and cover Enter the Dragonfly in a little bit more in-depth and a couple other Spyro games that were unfortunately on the GameCube. Let's do it, Neil. All right. This game is often cited as one of the worst games on the GameCube, if not the worst, uh, because not because of that it's in terms of just bad gameplay, bad everything, I think it's because you took a beloved franchise mm-hmm. and you just stomped on it. You know, there's uh, <laughs> Space Raiders and um, uh, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, Charlie's Angels. There was never any hope that those were going to be good. <laughs> Where it's something like Enter the Dragonfly, it's Spyro. How can mm-hmm. Spyro, after three amazing games, be bad? Mm-hmm. Well, it's it's bad when you rush the devs, who are new devs, who don't have assets, who have never right. worked on this game before and rush them to create a game in basically less than a year. Yeah, and like with Space Invaders, I don't know how many people were expecting Space Raiders to be amazing because <laughs> people with GameCubes, you know, especially kids, we didn't have that touchstone with that franchise yet, but now we're talking about an audience that has grown up with Spyro and are now expecting yeah. that greatness to continue almost like what we were thinking with Star Wars, like you know, the kids that were, you know, in the 80s, they'd grown up with these incredible this incredible trilogy of movies are now expecting it to continue. It's not always the case, especially in a time before we were really connected with developers and publishers. We thought that just the name alone meant quality. Like Spyro, these three games are great. Therefore, this fourth game is great. Not really knowing that Insomniac have given up on the the franchise to move on to something else where they moved on to ratchet at this point on the PlayStation two. So Spyro was moved over to check six studios. And I don't like if I was a kid in 2002, I would not have known that. 
Um, no, no. I, I, I would have just asked for Spyro, Enter the Dragonfly, and be hoping for the next game. And when you first boot up Spyro, Enter the Dragonfly, it looks like it's going to be that for a minute. Clearly, the graphics are slightly better than what they are on PS1, only barely. Like, it looks like it's on uh, hard. It's on stronger hardware, but quickly goes downhill from there. Uh, the game is incredibly short, only eight levels. The controls are just, I don't know, like <laughs> sticky years. I don't know how to describe it. Like, it doesn't, the character does not control the way he did on PS1, where everything was so smooth. It feels like you're delayed. Yeah. You know, like that's, it feels like you're, you know, when your audio is off on your TV, mm-hmm. uh, that's what it feels like for, for controls. Yeah. <laughs> Almost like playing Smash Bros. on a, on a flat screen HD TV. Yeah. You have that few seconds of lag, which, in a 3D collectathon, it's not the end of the world, but you do notice it. It was also criticized for lacking originality, uh, since this was the fourth game in the series. I'm sure fans were probably hoping for something a little more different. Different, I'm sure critics were as well, uh, but it is very much similar to the first three games that came before it. Especially at the beginning, like you said, it was it, it isn't too bad. It looks like a real game at first, but that opening cutscene is a little... Uh... Something's wrong. So, it's, it, it, it's impossible to describe it on a podcast. Please just go on YouTube and look up uh, Spyro Into the Dragonfly opening cutscene and you will understand what we mean by this nightmare fuel of, of an intro. Yes, and the game unfortunately did go through a bit of a development hell. Uh, several months into the game's development, the game struggled with low frame rates. Um, visuals needed to be simplified to correct that. And even like with employees, Check 6 were having difficulty paying their developers. There were missed paychecks. Uh, the team was pressured to release the game in time for Christmas, which yeah. is a big a big thing in the video game industry, unfortunately. And the developers have gone on to say that I believe only 15% of the game is actually on the disc. So there's about 85% of the content that they wanted to make needed to be left out so that they could meet the deadline, which is such a shame because like the Spyro 3 was not that long ago. Like they didn't need to rush Spyro no. 4 in this case to be November of 2002. I think the game did sell incredibly well though because people were yeah, just hyped on the Spyro. name Spyro. Yeah, like why not? It's on the new console. It's right before Christmas. My kid loves Spyro. Easy gift idea. For that reason, I see this game at almost every single video game store you and I go to. <laughs> yeah, it's very cheap uh, uh, nowadays. But mm-hmm. you, you did say Chuck Six Studios. There was also Equinox Digital Entertainment who worked on this. So two developers were working on this game. And well, that's just the first of two. We're going to see many more, Neil, as, uh, <laughs> yeah. as we go on. Yeah. And both of those studios went bankrupt after this game came out. So they are no more. Hmm. Interesting. <laughs> Spyro, yeah. enter the bottom of the barrel. Yeah. Is, uh... Oh, man. Yeah, that was the worst. What was the Dragonfly's name? Is it Sparks? I'm trying to remember now. I, it's it's out of my mind. I, I've tried to... I've tried to forget this. Were they trying to copy Navi? Because nobody liked Navi from Ocarina of Time. They had a, a little helper with you. I forget his name in the original series as mm-hmm. well. Yeah, you didn't need to make that character too over the top because that's just annoying. What I loved about just reading from the developer's side of the game, how, how bad it was to develop for. Uh, also, Stuart Copeland, who we talked about in the original games there, who's the composer of the previous three Spyro games, as well as Enter the Dragonfly. He even felt like there was a divergence in the, the franchise's vision and where it was going. He was quoted by saying, I remember the team came in to create the promotional material for Enter the Dragonfly. They showed me an ad they had, which I didn't even recognize as Spyro. It was country and Western themed, and I think that's where the divergence happened for me. We're not on the same mm. page anymore. And that's from the music composer, not even like the game's developers. Like this, That's this... bad. That's, that's when you know something's bad, like something's wrong. Yeah, and you need the music to hit in these types of games. And, Copeland and he and the... left after that. That was his yep. last game. And the game was even runner-up for GameSpot's 2002 Worst Game on the GameCube Award. But Mike Spyro the Dragon did lose to Jerry McGrath's Supercross World. 
Wow, it shouldn't. I mean, honestly, it should have. It should have won best game. Best or it should have won worst <laughs> game of the year for sure. I would have more fun playing Supercross World than this abomination. Yeah, yeah, I would have just probably if I had a PS One in, in in the GameCube era, I would have just stuck with playing the original three. Uh, one more thing before we move on to some slightly better Spyro games here is: Did you read about the lawsuit that um, that Sony Entertainment of America had to undergo for this game? Oh, God. No, I didn't. (laughs) Yeah, so I read this article here on GameSpot.com that in February 2007, the game received um, some serious knockback as a New York woman whose infant suffered grand mal seizures while playing Enter the Dragonfly filed suit against Vivendi Games and Sierra Entertainment, as well as Sony Computer Entertainment of America, as well as the uh, defunct rental uh, store called Hiawatha Video. Um, So basically, a child was playing Spyro Enter the Dragonfly and suffered severe seizures. (laughs) Now, most video games, especially from this era, did have several warnings in them that uh, video games can cause seizures. So I was trying to find how the lawsuit ended, but I couldn't find anything on there. So I'm sure that they probably paid her quietly. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. But still, be careful when playing Spyro Enter the Dragonfly, kids. (laughs) Uh, You and I talked offline, uh, uh, and I just wanted to kind of bring up what you said. I don't know if you remember it. It was a while ago when we talked offline. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) um, You called the, the sequences in this game a poorly done Muppet. Because Muppets don't flap the top of their heads like puppets do. Mm-hmm. Uh, this went ahead and made the characters look like their heads crack open as they talk, <laughs> which is very irritating to watch. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, yeah, that was that was basically it. <laughs> yeah, that, that's something that I learned when I was reading like about just in the Jim Henson biography about when like when people move their mouths, they don't move the top of their heads, which is what a lot of people do when they first hold a puppet is they move their top four fingers. They move their thumb to make the characters talk because that's how people talk. And in Spyro, they do kind of move their entire heads to make the characters talk. And there's also the issue that their eyes, for some reason, are constantly slowly closing. I don't know what was going on. Every single character (laughs) in this game looks like they're stoned. I forgot about that. Yeah, Yeah, why? Oh, my God. It's like the dead eyes and fairly odd parents. Yes, exactly. Exactly (laughs) the same thing. And you don't want that. Like, you want a Spyro game to be bright and colorful and the characters to be full of life and not to be like they're all on heroin, but just like... (laughs) Like, just have a little bit more life to them. I don't want the characters' eyes to be slowly closing while they talk in No, I think they're, if they're on heroin, they're going to be way less... I think you're looking for cocaine here. I think they're cocaine uh, is probably the correct one. I'm not a heavy yeah. drug user, so I, <laughs> <laughs> I don't have any experience here. Oh, jeez. Mike, let me read the back of the case for Spyro Enter the Dragonfly so we can move on to a few more games. What do you think? Let's do it's it. It's time to read what's on the back of the case. There's things written on the back of the case. Let's read them. And now we're reading The Back of the Case. Yep. The Way of the Dragon. Strength, Discipline, Bubble Breath. Dragonflies Missing? Future of Dragon Realms in Jeopardy? It seems Ripto is back with an evil plan, and everyone's favorite dragon is on a mission to stop him. Featuring tricky puzzles, dazzling levels, and all-new breath weapons, this is definitely Spyro's hottest adventure ever. No, it isn't. <laughs> They're trying to make Spyro sexy here. His hottest adventure ever. Yeah, he's the sexiest adventure ever. Mike, let's move on to a slightly better game, which was Spyro, A Hero's Tale, which came out on November 9th, 2004, another holiday game. This game was developed by Eurocom, published by Vivendi Universal Games. It's also on PlayStation 2 and Xbox. This game is priced at around $25 today and rates between 6 and 7 
Now, before we continue on Spyro A Hero's Tale, I just want to say a quick RIP to Eurocom. On November 23rd, 2012, Eurocom laid off 75% of their 200 employees. And then on December 6th of 2012, the company laid off its remaining staff and ceased to exist. Eurocom developed Nightfire, which is the official game of the GameCube was cool podcast. <laughs> RIP Eurocom. I can't believe um, Eurocom made you know, a bad game, but I'm sure mm-hmm. they have made many games. But in my mind, Eurocom was always like, oh my God, a game made by Eurocom? It must be good because Nightfire exists. No, Mike, no, 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 no. Like you, you look at their games and it's a lot of movie tie-ins. It's a few James Bond games, actually. They did the GoldenEye remake, I believe, and the last Bond game that came out on Wii. I can't even remember it. But they also made the fifth console Spyro game in the series, ninth overall in the series. So this was the fifth console one. And also the first one to appear on Xbox, which mm-hmm. is interesting. The plot of this game, it kind of reboots the franchise, I believe. Uh, Soft reboot. Soft reboot, yeah. The game introduces a new antagonist known as Red, a former dragon elder banished years before the events of the game. And you see the protagonist, Spyro, attempt to defeat his plot to corrupt the realms with the aid of his friends, Sparks the Dragonfly. I was right. Uh, a cheetah, a bird, the penguin, and Blink the Mole, um, all of whom are playable in this game. Yeah, and that, and that is one nice thing is the... The more playable characters, just like you have with um, Spyro 3, mm-hmm. uh, where you can evolve the series a little more. That really is the only way you can after so many games. Right. Uh, but, you know, we're going to be counting this. So we got number three. We got three developers, Neil, in the last two years. And <laughs> yep. uh, we're going to get some more. But that's that just shows you that you can't make a game franchise work when you have so many different hands in the pot, so many different developers coming in. Mm-hmm. Uh, the fact that Eurocom was even able to make this in, I, uh, God knows how much time they were given because the Enter the Dragonfly had just come out exactly a year before. Right. I think they had probably about a year to develop it, which isn't too far off from what they had with Nightfire. I believe, if I remember correctly, Nightfire was developed in under a year as well. So good, game, good games can come out of short development times, but... Yeah, this one was just good, and I think that a lot of reviewers were giving it a little bit of a bump because it was just better than Enter the Dragonfly, and it's such a shame that it worked. (laughs) Yeah, it's just like, I don't like it when a game is reviewed well because it's just better than the game that came before it, but I think that there was that view of the game at the time, that at least this is better than Enter the Dragonfly, and the voice actor for Spyro, this is the third voice actor, I believe, at this point that we've seen, uh, Tom Kenny is replaced by Jess Harnell as Spyro. So the main character has gone through several voice changes. The game's developers have gone through many changes. And when you think of a game like Mario, just as just put it into perspective, um, Charles Martinet was the original actor in 1996. He's still the voice actor today in 2021. Yeah, and I think that is important. You know, having the same composers, having the same uh, voice actors, you know, because you said Tom Kenny didn't come back. Well, none of the original voice actors, save for a couple of minor roles, uh, came back to their to voice their characters in A Hero's mm-hmm. Tale, and it, it shows. It honestly does. You know, it doesn't feel like it's a continuous game or franchise at this point. No. Like you said, it, it does feel a bit like a soft reboot, and uh, the 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 music is really different. That, that was actually the biggest thing I noticed. It, it, mm-hmm. That Stuart Copeland soundtrack. You know, you you don't really notice it. Like it's obviously a good soundtrack, but it doesn't like pop out at you like a Zelda soundtrack would. But you notice it when it's not there. You know what I mean? Yes, yeah, the the soundtrack does not pop nearly as much, like you said, from the original trilogy. But this game does look quite a bit better than Enter the Dragonfly. Like, just watching gameplay with no music on, like, it's fine. I think that this is a fine yeah. uh, trilogy. I don't think that it caught the original Spyro fans as much. I think that actually a lot of the hardcore, or a lot of the diehard original Spyro fans actually do not look back fondly on this trilogy. 
the reboot trilogy. Well, this this isn't a reboot trilogy yet. This is just the two kind of just games that are outside of this realm. Gotcha. We're not into the new trilogy yet. Right, right, right. This is before that. So it's just like a spin-off. It's kind of forgotten a little bit, but I think it looks like fine. It looks competent. It looks like an adventures game, kind of like what we talked about with Star yeah. Fox Adventures. This looks like Spyro's version of that, even though he already had an adventure game. This one just feels like that of Spyro. Exactly. Yeah. It it the cutscenes are good, the graphics look good. It just it feels like what Enter the Dragonfly probably should have been. Mm-hmm. That's, you know, that's probably the best way to describe this game. Yeah. This feels like a game that that probably would have come out in 2004. So it, it makes sense to me uh, that this exists. It's just going to be very forgotten because of the fantastic games before. It. And mm-hmm. it is a rather forgetful game with a rather forgetful story. Yeah. There are some like funny Easter eggs towards other video games in Spyro A Hero's Tale. And like, for example, there's a level here where you're in like a factory of some sort and there's a robot with, he looks like Mario. So he's got like blue overalls, a red hat. He's got an M on his chest. So there's a clear reference there to Mario. And there's even like weird eggs that look like Yoshi eggs in the same level. So it's almost got like a Nintendo uh, vibe to the to this level so it's kind of neat that they did that uh, i love how mario sneaks into other games and it's fun too when he's on in other games that you would think would be like his competitor like spyro who is trying to imitate mario i love that i love that anyway we got one more game to cover for today mike shall we read the back of the case of a hero's tale let's do it all right five heroes have risen against the darkness spyro's band of five explosive allies must track down and destroy the deadly dark gems The mysterious dragon, Red, has created the gems in order to corrupt the mighty dragon realms with evil. The ferocious five must restore the magnificence to their world or risk losing their home to darkness. Darkness, my old friend. Yeah, it's a solid three out of five game. Mm -hmm. That's that's my my take. Best thing you can say about that game. Let's cover the next game here, Mike, which is The Legend of Spyro, A New Beginning. was released on October 10th, 2006, developed by Chrome Studios, published by Universal Games. It's also on PlayStation 2, Xbox, Game Boy Advance, and DS. This game prices, Mike, today between $60 and $100, depending on what region you get the game in and the condition and whatnot, so it's an expensive one. Rates, again, between 6 and 7 out of 10. Chrome Studios did not suffer the fate of the other previous developers. They are still alive, barely. They released the remaster of Ty the Tasmanian Tiger earlier this year, so I would have to imagine that the studio is on life support now. Yeah, and we did talk about Chrome earlier as well in the Jimmy Neutron episode last week. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Neil, for those keeping count at home, we got four developers now Number in four. three games. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and there's going to be even more developers too that work on Spyro. But this is the last game, the last Spyro game on GameCube before we moved over to the Wii and the 360 Very late generation game for GameCube. Very late game. Yeah, the Wii was coming out in 2000. Or the Wii was out at this point, wasn't it? October. Yeah, it was out. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so a late Spyro game on GameCube. But uh, New Beginning uh, uses a more action-based focus rather than the previous Spyro games, so they get, made it a little more combat-heavy. Uh, you have a few different moves and attacks, like fire, electricity, ice, and earth, which you can use to for both long-range and short-range attacks. So this is when they started to give them a bit more of a of an attack, I guess an attack pattern, as opposed to like the older games where you kind of just set stuff on fire. If, if the older games were 3D platformers that are trying to emulate Mario 64 and like the Mario games, then uh, Legend of Spyro is attempting to emulate Legend of Zelda. That's the yeah. best way to put it. Even with the name, they now the Spyro world was now called Legend of Spyro instead of Spyro the Dragon. Right. And this, and this is the franchise now where they tried to reboot the series a little bit, where it's not the same Spyro from the original trilogy, if I'm correct. 
That's right. Yeah, I believe it's it's a whole new Spyro. Everything's redone. Mm-hmm. It's uh. Uh, it's a new, yeah, so it is a new trilogy. So there were three games in three years, which I think wow. was a huge mistake. <laughs> and I assume what happened was that Chrome Studios and other developers worked on one big game mm-hmm. and then kind of parsed out the the other uh, areas that they didn't finish or they, they were still working on and just used that to create the other the other two games here but um yeah this game scores relatively high on metacritic it's a 67 out of 100 okay watching gameplay this week uh, i have actually played this game i forgot about it it was many years ago but i did play this game i played it on someone's pc uh in high school uh hmm. they had an emulator and <laughs> okay the, they uh they liked this game a lot so i was like okay and neil did you know who's in this game voice acting wise because it's it's pretty amazing I do, actually. Yeah, so the game's voice actors, we have Elijah Wood voicing Spyro, who Elijah Wood at this point would have been right off of the Lord of the Rings trilogy. And then for some reason, they brought in David Spade to be the voice actor for the Dragonfly Sparks. I hate David Spade. <laughs> I'm sorry. I, I don't. I, 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 I purposely didn't include him in my things here because I'm like, I don't want to talk about him. We can move right over David Spade. That's fine. But the <laughs> a, a voice actor, Mike, who you do like is Gary Oldman. Gary Oldman as Ignitus. Yeah. I couldn't believe that. Fresh off his uh, his appearance in True Crime LA. So I was like, hey, Gary Oldman's back mm-hmm. for another video game. Uh, and we love Gary Oldman here. He's uh, he's a saint. Oh, yeah. Yeah, he was on top of the world in the mid-2000s as well. In Harry Potter, also, as Sirius Black. So, v- and Batman Begins with... Uh, 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 he just came off that. Commissioner Gordon. Commissioner Gordon, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So great cast here. So I actually really love this little trilogy here. I think that I would love to see it maybe either get remade like the Reignited Trilogy did. I think that this would be the one to do next if you're going to go back to the Spyro well after they've just redone 1, 2, and 3. I absolutely think so because this these games are all okay, and they mm-hmm. could, but they have so much potential and could be made so much better. And mm-hmm. sorry, I, I did want to just keep going on the, uh, the 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 cast because there's more, Neil. There's more. Okay, okay. There's, I got the top three. You keep going. There's Christina Ricci as, uh, as Cinder. Uh, there's Wayne Brady as Sparks uh, in the uh, I think in the other two games uh, that came after, uh, and okay. then there's Mark Hamill as the Dark Master. Uh, oh no way! Yeah, okay. Kevin Michael wow. Richardson as Terador, Prowlis, and the Hermit. There, there are so many big names uh, who they got oh. for this. You could you could tell Sierra and Universal were really putting out the cash to make sure that they got some some good voice actors. It feels so weird. I feel like if they had not just put out Enter the Dragonfly and gone straight to a hero's tale to kind of keep the franchise alive, to keep everyone's minds on it, to sort of bridge the gap between the original Spyro games and then the this reboot to kind of uh, boost the lore in Spyro, if there is any, to kind of make it like this whole... Every 10 years, there's a legend of a dragon named Spyro who must, you know, save the realm of dragons and everything. And this would have been such a cool way to do it. I feel like just Enter the Dragonfly just screwed it all up for, for the character... Um, that's too bad. That's amazing that they got such an incredible cast, though. A lot of these voice actors were getting into video games, especially Mark Hamill, who was just about ready to do Arkham Asylum. I believe mm-hmm. that game came out also like the next year, 2007, 2008. Uh, so he was just getting his start in video game voice acting as yeah, well. So yeah. that's really cool. Yeah, really, really amazing stuff there. I was really surprised. And so I did have to watch more footage to remember this game. And it is a decent game, It's but it's... It's got the similar faults as uh, a hero's tale. It's mm-hmm. it's 
you know, it just does everything okay. Right. And the biggest thing here is, or the, the biggest downfall, I think, of the game itself is just the gameplay. It, it's very repetitive. You're kind of just doing the same A and B over and over again. Yeah. Uh, just fighting enemies, moving on to the next area, fighting enemies. The, the story is good. Obviously, the voice acting is very good. It, it feels very cinematic, way more cinematic than any other Spyro game at this point. And I, I find that the graphics in this game as well also kind of suffered. I think that they could have been a little bit more polished. I don't know what the other versions looked like, but the GameCube version especially just looks rough. Like Spyro as the character, he still looks stoned like he did in Enter the Dragonfly. He doesn't still look like, like a happy character. He just looks like a bit lifeless. And the other characters do too. It's a bit janky. Would have liked to have seen it a little bit more polished. Maybe take some of the environments down a, a bit so that you could focus more on the characters. But I just feel like a lot of the other characters in the game look more interesting than Spyro does, which is a problem. Like, the main character should be the most interesting to look at, but he's just this weird-looking weird looking face <laughs> on Spyro. They changed his design for whatever reason in this. I guess to make him edgier or whatever they were going for. And, yeah, he doesn't look as good because he even looked better, I would say, in Hero's Tale than he yeah. does here. Uh, it's it's almost like they put too much definition into his, like, mouth and mm -hmm. face and they, they made him look... Uh, somewhat like snarly yeah, human like they gave him a bit too many human yeah. traits like in his face which is interesting like like you think of a like like just to put mario out there again like they're never going to make mario look any any more human than he already does like he's gonna he's gonna continue to look like a cartoon character with with his weird mustache and his big blue eyes but they gave spyro like yeah that smirk that like a human would have um I don't know how to describe it, but it's hard to explain. Um, but it's too bad. Um, but the game did do f well enough that it spawned two sequels after this one. We mentioned it's a trilogy. There was The Legend of Spyro, The Eternal Night, and The Legend of Spyro, Dawn of the Dragon, which were not on GameCube because this was such a late game. But if you wanted to, you, you could pick up the rest of the franchise on, I believe, Wii, PS3, and Xbox 360. And those ones came out 2007, 2008, so one year and two years after this game. And I think that's just, again, a huge mistake. This was not the 90s anymore. You didn't have to make this an annualized franchise. You're, you're kind of cannibalizing your market. Why would you want to put a Spyro game out, you know, immediately after you just rebooted the series in 2007? Mm -hmm. I know. You're, it, 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 it was a really strange business move. Maybe they were like, hey, the... The original trilogy kind of did this, you know, why don't, why don't we do it? It was becoming part of the video game industry where games became annualized and we're still seeing that to this day. And it's one of my least favorite things about the industry is how everything is annualized. I hate it. Like I don't want the same Assassin's Creed game come out every year. I don't want the same, I don't want a Call of Duty game every year. It just, it, it takes away the excitement from the franchise for me. I love it when games come out every two to three years. I think that that's perfect to take, take a year off between everything doesn't need to be every year. And Spyro the Dragon is definitely one of those franchises yeah. that does not need to be every year. Maybe sports games, but when you're but when you're getting into games that have character development and you want the stories to be good and you want the acting to be there, it's not a good idea to annualize it. That's just my opinion though. And lastly, this game had a lot fewer levels in previous Spyro games, which is again why I think it suffered a little bit. Uh, mm -hmm. Despite it having a good story and a relatively good gameplay, it uh, only has six levels. And I know. So you kind of just progress from starting point towards the final des destination. Then you go to a boss encounter and re rinse and repeat. It's very linear in that sense. Uh, there are two rail shooter style levels, uh, like flying yeah. levels, uh, mm -hmm. which is kind of cool. I, I like those parts, but there really was nothing else. It, it, it really did feel like they had the, this massive game made and they split up. Uh, and took away some of the parts that could have been used for other games to make it mm -hmm. look, oh, look, we've improved it in somehow. So mm -hmm. I, I wish they would have just made this one big game, 
wait three more years, make another, you know, big Spyro game, see what happens, and then try and finish the trilogy. But but they had other plans for Spyro, including Skylanders. Uh, that's where Spyro went in the 2010s. So that's probably why they wanted to get these games out of the way. So, Mike, let's read the back of the case for The Legend of Spyro, A New Beginning, and then we will close out this episode. What do you think? Sounds good. All right. Unleash the true dragon within you. When Spyro, a young dragon, leaves his home in search of the truth about his past, he finds a shocking discovery. The fate of the world rests on his wings. In a race against time, Spyro must realize his destiny and unlock the explosive powers that lie within if he is to put an end to the mysterious black dragon, Cinder. Join Spyro on this epic quest of intense action, featuring the voice talents of Elijah Wood, David Spade, and Gary Oldman. Ooh, very nice, very nice. And that's this is when he becomes Batman. That's right. That's when he, okay. this is when his parents die, and he uh, trains with Rajal Ghul and becomes Batman. If I'm if I'm to remember correctly, this all sounds good to me. Yeah, all sounds very good to me, Mike. But we talked about six games today, some of which were actually on GameCube. Uh, if you had to pick from the games that we talked about today, which games would you suggest that the folks out there pick up? I honestly would say that you should go pick up the Reignited trilogy. I think that just mm-hmm. that's what you got to do. Uh, obviously, one, two, and three are all very good. If I were to choose between them, I would maybe say two is the best, but it's it's a it's a tough call. They are all very good and all easily playable together because they're relatively mm-hmm. short games. Uh, and the Reunited Trilogy, uh, which I have personally not played, but you have played, Neil, uh, and I, I would love to play it to play those games again. Absolutely. And if you pick up the Reignited Trilogy, you don't have to pick between one, two, and three because you'll have all three games. And <laughs> exactly. the Reignited Trilogy hooked me after just the first game. And I know that two and three get better. Uh, so if you do like collectathons and you're itching for something like a Banjo Kazooie, like a Mario 64, if you're just looking for something fun to play while you have a podcast on in the background and you just want to collect things and mindlessly <laughs> button mash to fight, the original Spyro Trilogy is a must have. And it's a not a hidden gem, but it did fall under the radar for me because I just thought, oh, it's another reboot, remaster trilogy. I'm going to skip this one. Uh, maybe I'll pick up Crash Bandicoot someday because I still haven't done that. But I did get Spyro the Dragon from the library and absolutely adore everything about it. So yeah, definitely recommend the first three games because uh, if you have a current gen, because pl- if you have a current gen console, you can absolutely play it today easily rather than picking up a PS1 and then the discs. Yeah, trying to find those discs again. <laughs> <laughs> Good luck with that. But then the question, Neil, I guess is. Where does Spyro go from here? So we talked earlier about how Spyro, after the second trilogy, uh, got uh, developed by Toys for Bob, who mm-hmm. then created the Skylanders series and used him not that well, I would say. Although Skylanders was a massive success, one of the biggest games of that decade, uh, Spyro's role in Skylanders was that of a constitutional monarch, almost. It was a name <laughs> only, like a figurehead. <laughs> they yeah. they, they kind of just used him to sell the game, which is mm-hmm. fair. Uh, but I, I would love to see Spyro come back in, in a way that's similar to the original trilogy. So, Neil, where do you think Spyro goes from here? Yeah, I was thinking about that with like original trilogy stuff. And if I want to see him as a 3D platformer or what, I, I, I would like to see a new 3D platformer. I just don't think that that's what we need right now. I would honestly like to just see Spyro in other things. Like I love the car racing uh, idea of a Spyro game. Mm-hmm. I just want more car racing games in general. Like there were like, be Spyro careful what you wish for Neil. Uh, I guess that's true. <laughs> <laughs> but Spyro didn't get that treatment in the, uh, in the nineties or the two thousands no. that someone like Mario or crash bandicoot got where he didn't get his cart racer. He didn't get a party game. He didn't get a bowling game. And I just think it would be fun to see him in that kind of, uh, in that kind of a genre of game. Uh, while we also get the, 
uh, reignited trilogies and other remakes coming out. Uh, a new 3D platformer would be amazing. I wouldn't be against it. I'd probably go ahead and pick that one up too. Kind of like what they're doing with Crash Bandicoot, where they put out the reignite. They put out the what the insane trilogy, yeah. and then they put out Crash Four. I would actually really like it. Uh, like what you said, it's actually a really funny idea to do is to put out uh, Spyro the Dragon 4 and pretend like none of it ever happened in any of the other <laughs> stuff. I would love that to become a trend where all of these bad sequels that came out in the 2000s just get wiped from existence and we pretend like they never <laughs> happened. I think that that's a really funny thing to do. I love No that. disrespect to the developers from the 2000s that made these games, but they're, they're just they're just bad spots in history of video games. And it would be nice to kind of find a way to skip over them if we could. I, I personally would love to see the second trilogy get remastered uh like you said earlier in the episode neil because i think that trilogy while not the best thing that spyro has done in in his lifetime is still very unique and and very well done in places uh, i i think if they use the same graphics the same engine as the reignited tr- trilogy and just kind of and yeah. you know kept that that look uh, instead of having this weird humanoid kind of style look that he has in the second trilogy, I think if they they kept all those assets and just made the second one with this great story, these great voice actors, I I think we got a game there, Neil. I think we I would buy that for sure. Certainly, I think that'd be a great thing to do, and try to find a way to bring back the original voice actors if you can, just to. I bring back Stuart Copeland as well because he did do the music as well on the Reignited trilogy. Again, like they oh, remastered cool. his music, so he worked on the music for that one as well. I believe he's credited in that in that series, if I'm if I'm to remember right. But bring him back too, like let him do the music again if he's still into it. I mean, I know he's getting old now, but I'm sure he still got it if he wanted to. <laughs> the other thing I would love to see that I'm so surprised that we haven't seen since 2004 is a a real Crash Spyro crossover. Yes, you know these. These two characters are forever linked and they will be forever linked. There's so many ways that they have kind of skirted their timelines together and (laughs) and they seem to be kind of whenever Crash does something, Spyro does the same thing. Obviously, they are published by Universal or by whoever. It was Mm -hmm. Activision for a while. Activision Activision currently owns the rights to uh, Spyro. I can't remember who owns Crash now, but Activision was the owner of all of these guys. But they're clearly kind of together in some senses. I believe Spyro's even in one of the racing games as an unlockable character for crash i forget okay. which one but okay. they're they're always together in some sense we just need to see a full game with both of them in and i think that's what would have really helped spyro is if instead of making enter the dragonfly uh they make a crash spyro crossover in 2002 2003 and then make a new trilogy for Spyro a couple of years after that. I think that would have been a really cool way to reignite, <laughs> no pun intended, yeah, right. that that franchise. Yeah, and just to pepper in another character there, bring back Sly Cooper too. Like those are kind of the three from this yeah. era: is Crash Bandicoot, Sly Cooper, and Spyro the Dragon to kind of give them a like a a, a three way video game, if you will, uh, against a villain of some kind. Make the villain yeah. interesting. Make the voice acting good. The graphics don't have to be crazy. Give it a budget title and make it fifty bucks. Put it out there. It would just be a fun thing to do, especially since all of these franchises are getting rebooted anyway. Just put them all out at the same time. Don't put too much development into it. Like You don't have to make three separate games. Just make one massive game and uh, make it yeah. good. Yeah, because we got those fusion games in 2004 with mm-hmm. uh, Crash and Spyro, uh, which were okay. Like it was, a, But it, it was a very cool way to get people to play them and get people into both the franchises at the same time. Mm-hmm. So I got to give credit for that. And I, I think... I think we could see one. I honestly think it's a possibility the next couple of years that we see a Crash and Spyro crossover. I'm hoping Definitely. for it. Definitely. I am too. But Michael, we're sitting here patiently waiting for the Crash 
Spyro and Sly Cooper crossover that everybody is waiting for. <laughs> Why don't you let the listeners know what they could expect next week on episode 67 of the GameCube is Cool podcast? Or are we going to be back next week, Mike? What's happening? Uh, next week, uh, Neil, we are not going to be here, so it's not episode 67. Instead, it is a side mission that we will be doing, side mission number five now. And we are going to be talking about uh, our library for the GameCube Classic, because Neil and I are away. So we are doing a little side mission uh, while, you know, to, to, to keep things running back home. <laughs> <laughs> to keep the lights on at the GameCube is cool headquarters here. That's right. We don't, want, we don't want to miss a week, and we want you guys to have some content. And since we didn't want to cram researching 20 games in into one week of recording. We decided to do a couple of side mission episodes. So the next three weeks will actually be side mission episodes, uh, all topics outside of uh, GameCube games like what we normally do. But we will be back in early October with the regular GameCube content. With the James Bond games when Mm -hmm. the James Bond movie comes out. So we will be very excited for that. But yes, uh, stay tuned for our next three side missions. Yep, stay tuned. And ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for listening to episode 66 of the GameCube is Cool podcast. New episode every Thursday on all the major podcast services. Leave us ratings and reviews so we can make the show better. If you want to support the show, you can find us on Patreon. We are at the GameCube was cool. Then you can follow us on Instagram at the GameCube pod. Share us with your friends and family. Tell Stuart Copeland, Neil says hi. Thank you so much for the support and we will see you next week. Take care. Shout out to you, David Spade. I was going to do a Spyro noise, but I don't know. I don't know what his catchphrase. I don't even know if he has a catchphrase. I guess he doesn't. I don't think so. That was probably. That's why Spyro fails. Over 600 games you've never heard of. GameCube. The product of what happens when you think 